0: Hello, everybody. It's me. Hope you're doing well. It is the 10th of February, 2013. And before any further ado, I'm afraid I must burst into song. Yes, feel free to skip forward for this part. Because somebody is turning 34 today. And I guess all we can say is, Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear James, happy birthday to you, Mr. President. How are you, James? How is your birthday going? I'm crying now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I guess where I come from, we give the opposite of a present, which is mildly (laughs) bleeding. Uh, so but listen man happy happy birthday 34 ah uh, yes I remember it well it is quite a ways down the rear view over the hill for me but uh, it is a fine fine year so um, I, I wish you many happy returns thank you for everything you have done to at around and um, holding down and wriggling to this show I uh, really appreciate it uh, the, the backup recordings Sunday show technical help great conversations uh, hu- hugely helpful conversations. For which I still get praise from listeners and um, so I just wanted to thank you and wish you in all sincerity a, a great birthday, a, a great coming year and uh, you know, hopefully two or three more. Always a good thing. Yeah, hopefully two or three more. Thanks
1: so much. I really appreciate it. And um, yep, yeah, so far so good today. I slept in, you know, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, me too actually. it <laughs> really nice. It was really quite civilized. <laughs> Very nice all right, Very nice. so uh, should we move on we we got a caller or two, right, so let's uh let's get them let's get them on the roll. Yes, we do uh first caller today we have is Andy.
2: Hey guys, hello, hello, can you hear me? Yes, can all right, um <clears throat> awesome, thanks for taking my call, guys. um uh I guess I, there were two things I kind of wanted to get to. Um, and first off, I just wanted to say that this is the first thing I wanted to say that, uh, just how awesome it is that what, for, for what you're doing. Um, and you uh, know, I'm sure you hear that a lot, but, um, I'm a college student, um, I'm an undergraduate college, college student in, um, in North Carolina. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just a huge deal for me. Like, um, I just started listening about a year ago. And since then I've really had this incredible awakening, um, And as far as like intellectually and emotionally and, um, pretty much everything. Um, and, and like, I've always sort of questioned authority, but it wasn't until I started listening to you that I really started to kind of like formulate that into a coherent, (coughs) excuse me, um, thought process. Um, wait, wait, but you don't question my authority. Do you (laughs) trust me? All right, go ahead. Um, Go ahead, please. Yeah. But, um, you know and i'm sort of struck by something that, that jeff tucker um, was talking about in an interview we did about how like the internet can make you know mentors out of people who are like a long ways away and you know that's sort of how i feel about about you and people like jeff tucker and people like a lot of other, a lot of a lot of the guys out there um who i listen to and learn from um who could teach me a hell of a lot more than you know my professors up here about a lot of stuff um about just life in general and even about in even some of the academic subjects, especially in like history and stuff like that, that you're just not going to get in college. Um, so I just wanted to make, I just, I wanted to make sure that you know that like, I might not be your average listener, um, as far as like age wise and like where I am in my life. So I wanted to make sure that you are getting, that you knew that you're getting through to people like me. Um, you know, and it's making a huge difference and I really appreciate it
0: well thank you and I do of course hear from time to time that uh, people say well I'm only young but or I'm just young but dude first of all according to the statistics um, your youth outstrips my age intelligence wise simply through <laughs> whatever the hell is causing the Flynn effect right this couple of point rise in IQ so, yes. uh, it, and, and also boy philosophy is a great thing to get when you're young it's a great thing to start when you're young you know, I, so I played tennis for many years and I taught myself how to play tennis because, you know, we were a broke ass family, couldn't afford lessons. And then when I finally did get some lessons, oh man, I had a lot of undoing to do, if that makes any sense. You know, a lot of bad habits, the same thing with skiing. I taught myself skiing and uh, actually I've never taken, but but people have sort of given me ideas on how to ski better and it's just hard to undo bad habits, so um, so, it's like, to me, it's like people, uh, you know, I really want to join gymnastics, you see, but I'm, I'm only 11. It's like, no, no, that's good. Don't <laughs> start your gymnastics when you're 35. That's not, oh, yeah. I know James, oh, of yeah. course, is going to. But, uh, so, it's, it's the best time. It's the most appropriate time, uh, I would argue, to do philosophical work when you're young. Yeah. Uh, so, because we My have this, you know, Socrates, yeah. Well, Socrates is like, you know, everyone thinks, or um, well, the stereotype of the philosopher is you know, the bearded guy on the mountain who who nothing bothers. And uh, remember, everything to do with philosophy uh, prior to the internet has and, and prior to popularizers like Ayn Rand, everything to do with philosophy was picked and chosen and allowed to survive yeah. by the rulers of society. In other words, nobody got to be a philosopher unless to some degree they served the interests of the rulers of society. And it certainly wouldn't surprise me at all Right. If yeah. Plato had been threatened with the same lovely tea party that Socrates had if he didn't write that Socrates wanted obedience to mm-hmm. the state. Right, because this is how you know, he he Socrates says before he because they say listen the authorities will look the other way we'll we'll get you out of town we'll you know don't and he's like no well the state gave me life the state is my mother and father I guess Chris Rock also joins that pantheon of philosophy and uh, so we have to obey the state. You live under the protections of its laws, even if they're unjust. Blah blah blah. And it's it would not at all surprise me, and probably will never ever come to light. But it would not surprise me at all.
3: Yeah, if, that's,
2: that's, that's a really yeah. good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah if they'd
0: if they shaken if they'd shaken him down and said, listen, uh, we got another Melitus in the wings who's going to bring charges against you for impiety and corrupting the young. Uh, but uh, so if you're going to write this death of Socrates, you better not screw around with the obedience to the state. And then he writes this wonderful piece, which has in it massive obedience to the state, which is completely against Socratic philosophy, completely against. Socrates openly derided the majority of men as incredible fools. Uh, He was put to death by a vote, and yet he said, obey the law as if the law was something that was not created by men who were fools. Subjugate yourself to violent foolishness was never, ever the essence of the Socratic philosophy, but rather know thyself, think independently, challenge authority, question everything. And so everything that we have gotten to do with philosophy has been that which either does not harm or actively serves the interests of the rulers of mankind. And so this idea that the philosopher has to be old and therefore philosophy is not appropriate to the young is only there because once you're old, you're no harm to philosophy, real philosophy, because most times, 99 times out of 100 or more, You've already calcified your thinking into a bunch of boring, culturally-based, repetitive dead patterns and therefore you're no harm to anyone or if people say well listen you can't uh, you can't really be philosophical until you get older it's like well no philosophy is entirely around the energies of the young you want to be philosophical before you choose your career you want to be philosophical as you're going through your education you especially want to be philosophical before you have a family if that's your goal because all of these things will be incredibly improved by philosophy but the wait till it's too old to do any good sort of stuff well that just serves the interests of the ruler so sorry for that little rant but uh uh, and also no, no, be no, no, detached no, no. from everything. Yeah. This, you know, be a be a floating guru on a mountaintop and and nothing <laughs> bothers me because I'm a philosopher. Well, fuck, yeah,
2: well, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. So I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, I know this is hard, philosophy, well. yeah, philosophy
0: is all about the passion, the passion to change, the energy to change. To to, to detach yourself from your emotions, is fundamentally i mean this is one of the basic principles of psychology it's incredibly unhealthy to permanently repress your emotions to not ha- to strive for emotional non-reactivity is to strive for impotence
2: and what you tragically, say self knowledge yeah i mean know your yeah, emotions and then verify them rationally yeah
0: yeah look i if i have some horrible illness i don't want a doctor who's not bothered by illness at all oh, to me illness and health they're pretty much the same uh, i don't mind cancer, I don't mind uh, uh, tuberculosis, you know, they're, they're just two different ways of being, being healthy and being sick. No, <laughs> I want the guy who's like, I view cancer as my own personal enemy. Uh, I will go down and fire before I will surrender one inch, one cell to cancer. I mean, that's the guy I want. It's the guy who's really passionate and, 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 and takes a stand uh, and, and motivates because a- energy, uh, emotional energy is motivation. And I want uh, people who are uh, incredibly motivated to, to heal. And that means uh, being angry at injustice and praising justice. And so anyway, so I just want to yeah. point that out. But, but please yeah. go on with your thoughts.
2: Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to say that. But the question I had, and I've got like a hundred of them. But um, the one I really wanted to ask you, and you just you got, like I said, I'm a college student. Um, I'm double majoring in physics and industrial design. Uh, Mm -hmm. Which everybody's like, what? But um, my question is, um, I've always I've always struggled with with learning things because it seems like the academic institutions from grade school up don't approach learning from a logical perspective no one does it anymore. It's, or if they ever did it, it's always, you know, read the book, memorize the stuff and spit it back on the test, which is, you know, what we always hear, what we always hear that that's, that's not a good way to learn. But even in college, which is what I always expected, like, okay. And I always said like in college, it's going to be different in college. People are actually going to give a damn about actually learning the material, understanding why things work and not just kind of spitting it back on a test. But even in something like math, that's supposed to be purely logic and you know <clears throat> the, the most base stuff is not taught from that perspective you know you go into calculus class and it's just they the right stuff so they write theorems on a whiteboard and they run through the proofs once or twice but they don't build it back from first principles anymore and then the physics department and the math department don't talk to each other so it, it's it, so you're, you're you're using higher order calculus in calculus class but you're not but you can't use it in the physics class because you're not on the same level i um, mean in, we started about the humanity stuff because no, no one from there teaches looks at things object objectively you're you're subject to the whims of whatever prof, professor your your class you're in you know um, yeah. so my question to you is you know why does that happen but not so, I mean I guess not so much why because i know why i mean it's a state school i mean it's an, and it's a cultural norm you know to to do things like that and it's, it's that's all kind of stuff i mean i've i i have i have in fact listened to your podcast so i mean i know why but I'm wondering what can I do you know in my own life to supplement that and to 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 look at these subjects and and you know i guess filter through all the bullshit and actually begin to really learn this stuff you know does that make any sense
0: medium um well, tell me why you think the our knowledge is so isolated and uh, fragmented. <laughs>
2: I guess it's it's just, I mean, maybe it's just me. It's entirely possible that it's just me. But um, there's not really a focus on understanding, you know, on, on, on this holistic kind of understanding of a topic. It's more of, you take some pieces of it. Like, so so for example, um, I, I don't know how into, into higher order math that you are, um, but as a physics major, I kind of have to be. But um, like, you know, you'll learn about something called a cross product. And They'll kind of tell you about it, how to use it, and then you'll ask a question, you'll raise your hand and say, well, but, but what actually is it? How does it work? Why does it work? And they'll be like, don't worry about it. You'll learn about it in the next class. And then you get to the class and you get a little bit more information about it, but they don't really tell you. And it seems to me like it would be a, a lot more logical to explain a topic if they would start from with a topic, not necessarily something as specific as a particular function, but you know, with mathematics in general and, and maybe just kind of expand on it and build and build and build instead of actually kind of kind – of it. it's like they're just throwing things together and it doesn't necessarily sure. make sense. Right. That, I don't know. Uh, uh, I'm, well, that's I, a description
0: I, I, of it. That's a description of it. Why, why do you think – I mean, look, let's, let's assume it's not you. Mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, and, and generally, if things seem screwed up in the world, I think young people or people of any age should not assume that it, it's oh. them. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's, it, because society has been around a lot longer than you have, and society has a great great interest in getting things wrong, unfortunately, current society. And so don't ever assume – I mean, you know, if after a certain amount of time and so, but don't ever say, well, maybe it's me. I mean, you can say it, of course, right? But But assume that – always assume that there's something yeah. wrong with society as a whole. You know, society's the mugger in the alley, right? I mean, they'll take your youth, they'll take your money, they'll take your health, they'll take your, you know, just terrible. I mean, society's like a mugger in the alley, and I don't think we get mugged in an alley and say, well, maybe it's me. Uh, Maybe I'm the one who's doing things wrong in this interaction. Um, And of course, unfortunately, with society, there's no such thing as an alley. You get mugged mugged, uh, on an airplane, you get mugged everywhere you go, right? I mean, if taxes is mugging, then you get mugged for breathing, sadly so don't as, let, let's assume it's not you, and okay. let's uh, imagine or let's conjecture let us reason together about <laughs> why it may be so fragmented
2: well i th- i think m- my postulation is just, just because it's easier it's it's easier for professors to kind of to have you sit in a classroom with seventy other seventy other kids and i you, you use kids you know to say people my age um and you know it's easier for them to just like, you know, write some stuff on a whiteboard and just say, okay, well, go read the chapter if you want further information or go watch this video lecture and do your homework and turn it in and then pass the test. And, you know, it it just it it doesn't work. I mean, at least it doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for a lot of people that I know. I mean, regardless of, of whether or not someone gets good grades or not, whether or not they can actually do what that in the field, you know, is an entirely different situation.
0: Okay, now let's see. Let, let's compare your education to something that's more private, right? Because you're in a – Sure. I mean, the universities are public institutions almost completely. and Even the private ones are. Let's, so if you were to go – so let's say that it's easier, right? So it's easier for the professor and maybe in the short run it's easier for the students, right? Right. So if you want to become a gymnast and you go to a coach and he says, well, I'm going to do – what is easiest for me and easiest for you? Uh, I don't like in the moment. I don't care really about the consequences, and I don't care whether you become any good at it, really. But I'm going to do what's easiest for me and for the student in the moment. Um, what would you say?
2: Um, I would say, okay, that's fine. But but I, I'm doing this because I want benefit later as well. I want this to be a holistic kind of experience. I don't want to just. I don't. I don't want to do this gymnastic routine. And have, and, have feel, and have myself feel great for a week and then all of a sudden, you know, something goes wrong and I strain a muscle a week later, you know?
0: Well, no, no, you see, because you won't sprain a muscle if the t- if coach is trying to do what's easiest, then he's not going to push you, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Right? He's not going to do things, he's not going to, you know, it's not, you're not even going to be breathing hard because he's doing what's easiest, right?
2: Yeah, so then, then I would say, okay, this, this will be great for a week, but, it, but then I'll probably lose every bit of benefit that I get from it later. Because well you'd say be, no thanks. It it, it wouldn't Yeah.
0: <laughs> like you you'd say, "Listen, coach, you'd obviously don't really understand what it is to instruct someone if you think that the that the best thing that can come out of an instruction is for it to be easiest in the moment for the student and for the teacher." Right. Because the whole point of being a teacher is something is hard, the benefits are not immediately obvious. And it is necessary for the achievement of a goal. I mean, I don't need a coach to say, have some chocolate. Come on, you can do it. Lift that Toblerone. (laughs) Right. Work that Lindor. pole vault with that Kit Kat. You can do it. Come on, I know you can. Work it. Have some chocolate. (laughs) I don't need that because chocolate is really good, right?
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Find your wife appealing. Come on. I know you can do it. <laughs> Look at a picture of someone else. Work yourself into it no matter how, right?
2: Yeah. No.
0: Yeah. Love your child. Come on. I know you don't like her deep down, but come on. you could, right? It, it's for the stuff that is hard. That's exactly why you need teachers. That's why, why you need coaches, right? Right. Uh, uh, to, to milk the analogy, right? Uh, you, you, you didn't need a whole bunch of coaches – Saying uh, when you're 11 or 12 or 13, come on, grow a beard. I know you can do it. Make your naughty bits go all kinds of funny shapes and colors. And let's get some hair everywhere. Come on, you can do it. Well, because that just happens on its own.
2: Yeah, it happens already anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, sit on a couch, watch some TV. Come on, put down those barbells. I know you can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. all the stuff that's hard. And so the idea that, that you have a teacher who wants to make things easier for you is – Saying I I want a teacher who's the opposite of a teacher. The whole point of a teacher is he's going to say, well, this is hard. It's worthwhile. Here's why. Uh, you, they'll be you know the Mr Miyagi stuff. Although I think that's a little bit too op- opaque. Uh, sorry, you're you're too young to get that reference. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not that young. I yeah, yeah, good, good, good. So it, it is hard. You know, wax on, wax off. I don't know why the hell I'm doing this. Now I think that's a bit too opaque, and that's just sort of um, yeah. being. Yeah, yeah. But but the reality is that uh, it is hard, uh, and so the idea that it's going to be easier can only come from a statist institution, right?
2: Right, yeah. So how do I as an individual kind of – do you, I mean I guess what I'm asking is do you know of any outlets, anybody that's out there online or anywhere that's actually kind of doing that? Or am I totally on my own and I'm just going to have to go find the books and read them and draw all kinds of lines on a wall or something like that? <laughs>
0: Do you mean sort of like – um? The, you, you, are you talking sort of the philosophy of science kind of stuff?
2: I mean, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, I, I'm sure that's a good place to start, to be honest. I mean, this, that's kind of where everything's – I guess I guess, what I'm getting at is that a lot of these – I think philosophy is something that you have to be exposed to if you want to be successful in any kind of academic endeavor. Because if you don't know what an axiom is, if you don't know that in order for make to make a statement, it has to be provable, true or false, which – no one really addresses, you know, no one, no one really addresses that concept anymore. They kind of just go in assuming everybody knows this, but they don't. You know, they don't know that. And if they did, they wouldn't be behaving as irrationally as they are. Right. So, Yeah,
0: you know, people, people love to assume that you know reason, and the reason they do that is so that you're too embarrassed to say that you don't. Yeah. I mean, I remember taking a course on Aristotle— uh, this was undergraduate, so this was uh, at McGill, I took a, a full year course on Aristotle, and you know, within a first week or two, it was like, hey, um, uh, ma- make a logic tree of this argument. And <laughs> everyone yeah. was like, you what now? I'm sorry? <laughs> Is right. that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It's from Genesis, what's happening? <laughs> but I don't think anyone really said much about any, because it's like, okay, I guess I'll go look up... All the, like." So they don't teach it to you, and then they assume you know it, so that you won't right. say that you don't know it, so they don't have to teach, teach it to you.
2: Yeah. And, but why does that happen? What's, what the hell is going on with this? I mean, it, it's so bizarre. I mean, even on well, Aristotle, like you don't know what a logic tree is. I mean, like it's not, you're not going to teach that because that's huge.
0: I would say, uh, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had never taken a required course, uh, on, on logic and uh, some would say it shows up in my podcast. But I would at that point, I'd never taken a, any course on logic. It was never a required thing. Of course, everything is supposed to be based on logic, but they'll never teach you logic, right? Yeah. Uh, I, but, and you say, well, that's bizarre. Well... It's sort of like, uh, you know, you ever see those pictures of those, like, (laughs) really creepy-ass-looking fish that live down, like, a mile or so under the ocean? You're like, whoa, that does not look like McPhaila fish. That is some (laughs) freaky-ass alien, spiny-headed, light-fanged crap going on down there in the bowels. And it only looks weird because that's not where we have to live, right?
2: Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, it that fish is living in an environment where it's beneficial for it to have that. I mean, I guess, again, I guess, you know, professors are doing that as well, you know, within the confines of the state and whatnot. But, you know, if you don't approach these things logically, it's kind of hard to really understand them and then apply them effectively. You know, you can memorize all you, all you want. I mean, some people can, I can't, which is why I'm having this conversation. I mean, my, my biggest problem throughout my entire life is that I don't do the whole memorization thing. Yeah. And, and and I, You know, I I just for some reason, my brain doesn't work that way. I have to have a holistic understanding of a concept for it to make sense. And I think that's because I'm a skeptical person. You know, I I don't I don't necessarily want to believe what someone's telling me. I want to verify it. And right. Right. So
0: the the whole purpose of of, I mean, the whole value and magic of our brain, so to speak, is its capacity to synthesize, to extrapolate to theorize to to tie concepts together right there was this whole experiment that went on where they taught kids whole word learning right so you learn the whole word like so instead of k at you'd learn cat and yeah. then dog and, and this produced a whole bunch of dyslexics and people with reading problems people who hated reading because yeah. memorizing every word is retarded yeah you you you, you learn your morphemes you learn the, the components of speech and then you can assemble any word you want uh, and you learn the and you know weird Exceptions for all, you know. English has a lot of like all languages. Yeah. We don't have uh, masculine and feminine, but we've got lots of exceptions to rules. So you learn those exceptions, and it's it's fine. Uh, but so uh, memorization is um, is a way of crowding out processing. The memorization does no harm to power structures. Uh, uh, ra- rational processing. Uh, it does enormous harm to power structures, right? So as you know, power structures operate—you uh, know—status, uh, violent, irrational, religious, superstitious. Power structures operate on on two basic principles: one, a a, a vocal universal; two, an unspoken exception for themselves.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Right. So, so th- these are the two ways in which power structures operate. Again, one explicit universals, and two unspoken not
2: universal. Yeah.
0: Uh, exceptions, right? So the government, yeah. of course, says don't steal, and then they tax you, right?
2: Right, yeah.
0: Uh, the the, the, the um, religion says um, God speaks to everyone, and then they say, but you have to pay me to get the truth. Right. Right. And, I mean, and, and you could go on and so on with this sort of hard, stuff, Yeah, it's right?
2: so hard for people to get, get that through their heads because they don't know logic. It's not that. They don't recognize, they don't recognize the discrepancy there. Well,
0: reason. no, 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 no. They do, they do, and I'm sorry to be annoying, but, but empirically, yeah, we know that they do because there are punishments, right? If, if nobody, like, if nobody knew where my treasure was buried, and nobody was ever going to know where my treasure was buried, I wouldn't need to guard it, right?
2: Right. Okay. But if everyone so knows where my treasure is buried. So
0: yeah, sorry. If everyone knows where my treasure is buried, then I've got to be pretty right? pretty aggressive in making sure that people don't go find my treasure, right? I've got to put up fences. I've got to you scare people away. I've got to put up landmines and got to sit on my porch with a shotgun or whatever it is, right? Because all these people are going to come swarming in trying to steal my treasure. So right. we know that people don't believe the state because you get attacked for pointing out what the state is. So we know that they don't. We know that they don't believe religion because there's hell, yeah. Right. You, you, you don't need to pour flaming hot satanic coals down everyone's throat if you've got the truth. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, whenever there's a hysterical overreaction, that covers a lie. And, and the more profitable the lie for the liar, and the more false the lie, which is usually two in, one and the same thing, the more profitable the lie, the more horrendous the punishment is for questioning it, right? I mean, this is, unfortunately, this is just basic human livestock management 101, mm-hmm. which is the big lie requires the bigger punishment. And so the big lie of religion requires unbelievable punishments, and the big lie of the state requires unbelievable punishments. I mean, from death penalties to imprisonment to uh, to social ostracism, which is a big uh, punishment for, of course, most people. Right. Uh, in other words, if you point out that the state is coercion, then you will be turned on by your fellow livestock and blah stuff we've talked about before. Right. So uh, – but nobody believes it, which is why you need the puni- – like, nobody believes religion, which is why you need all these punishments and why you need all the social ostracism and why – the other thing, too, is that if, the worse the lie, the more early you need to inculcate people in it. Yeah. Right? So religion is more of a lie than the state. Because at least the state has is populated by people and doesn't claim <laughs> to be, you know, doesn't the state doesn't cr- claim to have created the universe, right? And, and the state doesn't right. claim yeah. that it's a virtue <laughs> world and the state doesn't claim to be eternal and omniscient and right? So all of this nonsense. I'm, I mean the modern state, I mean. And so the modern state is newer than the religion and therefore religion is more false and that's why religion needs to get children earlier than the state. The state doesn't mind waiting until the kids are four or five or six years old to mm-hmm. get them. But religion's got to baptize them at birth, right? Yeah. It's got to get them right away because otherwise it's, um, it's just going to be uh, going to be nonsense. And, of course, I've been quite curious to, to listen to my daughter as she – she's now four, of course, as she grows up and she starts chatting about various things. And she's in the phase now where she's trying to figure out why things are the way they are right so so uh, if something is there you know if there's some uh, if there's an ambulance off to the side of the road then she say oh well maybe this happened or maybe this but maybe somebody bumped or maybe somebody got diabetes or whatever it is right so yeah. she's trying to figure out the stuff and i'm you know i'm still waiting for maybe an invisible sky daddy made it happen with his ghostly eternal infinite finger i'm still waiting <laughs> i haven't yeah. obviously i uh, told her any it never of this <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, but but if it does, like, if if with no exposure, she wakes up and says, you know, Daddy, I had a dream about a man who turned water into wine, walked in water. He said his name was Jesus, and bloody blah, bloody blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, <Yeah. laughs> strike one for the opposite team. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, plus one for the opposite team. I mean, it wouldn't be conclusive right. because she could have seen it on TV or heard it from someone. But or if she said or if she said it about, uh, uh, you know, she said something in in real detail about some some infinite ghostly being that visited her and her dreams, and it turned out to be like an exact word-for-word Wikipedia entry for one of the 6,000 Norse gods or Hindu gods or something like that. I'd be like, whoa, (laughs) strike one for an unknown team. I didn't know about that. So, uh, So anyway, just sort of pointing out that nobody does believe any of this stuff, which is why they have to be so attacked if they question it. And stepping around the exceptions to the universals without ever pointing out that there are exceptions to the universals it's really important, and don't you get I'm sorry don't you get if you start to bring this stuff up, What is your emotional state if you contemplate bringing this stuff up with your professors?
2: Oh dude, I'm scared out of my wits, right yeah, right, and you don't and do you it. should be yeah,
0: and you should be. Uh, I remember getting marked down for a um a paper once which I wrote on the Crimean War, and the professor was really harsh, and I, I was going to ask him what is the purpose of history? You know, he was a history teacher, history professor. I was going to ask him, what is the purpose of history for you? I mean, That's an important question, right? Because oh, I yeah. thought it was a fairly good answer, and you know, he didn't like it, and, and so it's like, okay, well, what is it that I'm studying and why? If I'm not meeting your goals, what are the goals? Why Why should we study history? What is the purpose of history? Um, what value does it bring to society and so on, right? Because I was using the Crimean War as an argument for um the role of the state in provoking war. And to me that's, you know, if you can prove that in a variety of circumstances, then people yeah. will look at that and, and say, ah, okay, well, so the state provokes war often and therefore we can use that to solve the problem of war in the future. This is back long before I really got into the childhood stuff. But uh, yeah. anyway, so you know, he didn't like that because you know, he said you, you draw your inferences are too broad. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, well, that's not, I mean, you're just using the word too. You know, it's like someone says, that's an overreaction. It's like, well, you haven't proved anything. You just put the word over in front of reaction, and you think you've proven something. Yeah. And this is too abstract. Well, you haven't made a case. You've just taken the word abstract, and you've put the word too in front of it. Exactly. <laughs> or when people say unprofessional, well, yeah. you just put the word professional. You put the word un in it. You haven't actually made an argument. So asking people for the content of their adjectives is really, uh, is really tricky. So anyway, I just uh, – so I just really wanted to uh, to point that out, the emotion that you feel in – and it should be – like if somebody said to me, what's the purpose of philosophy? If somebody said to me, uh, what is the value of philosophy? Or if somebody said to me, what is the methodology of philosophy? I'd, I'd jump for joy <laughs> at those <laughs> questions. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. Great series of questions because those questions are philosophy. <laughs> I mean, yay. You know, let's talk let's, – let's spend or, or weeks and months talking about that because that's really important. But right. if you ask for universal integrations from the majority of academics and intellectuals, what do you get?
2: You, you, you get this violent response or, or this sarcastic kind of pretentious thing going on, one of the two. I mean, it's, it's either yeah, the rage fellows, or it's why are you asking this question? What, are you an idiot? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't answer the and then by the time you ask it, you're supposed to have known it. That's the way they get to bypass the question at all. Like, what is the purpose of this?
2: Yeah. Cool. All right. So,
0: well, so I just to point out, I don't. Think I mean, you, you got to, you got to step through the rings to get to the goal, right? I mean, if this, if this is required for your, um, for your career path, then I would say, unfortunately, although it's probably from what I've heard from engineers, a lot of what they study isn't that helpful, and a lot of it is, of course, offloaded to computers, and so you know. Oh, but yeah. anyway, so um so I don't know that there's any huge way to solve it. I'm sorry that you have to do all of this stupid ass memorization. I think it is uh it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um it's it's using the, you know, exact it's like just like trying to play piano with a mop, you know. It's not what it's for, you know. It's good for you. You don't wanna clean the floor with your fingers and you don't want to play piano with a mop but unfortunately you know that's the way we just everything's turned against it against its intended purpose but you can sort of muddle through and struggle through but i don't know that um and, and because i'm no expert in your field at all I'm probably not even remotely competent um somebody mentioned khan um which i of course threatened always uh, in my own mind to scream out in a truly Turkish <laughs> manner but yeah. uh, uh, you could try the Khan Academy, but um, oh, I yeah. think if I, you... I, I find please, he's
2: very very helpful, to be honest. I mean, I yeah. really do.
0: But, but I think yeah. you see it for what it is, that it's, it's a system that has evolved to teach people how to think in ways that are useful to the state and scare them away from thinking in ways that are not useful to the state or religion or culture or nationalism or... Right. So in order for us to be valuable to the surfmasters, masters, we have to think in abstractions. But, if we think consistently in abstractions, we recognize that we really shouldn't be serfs and they shouldn't be masters. So it's an incredibly complex dance. If they say thinking is terrible, reason is useless, abstractions are worthless, then you know we're not even fit to dig ditches for them, yeah, so that's not. Right? They want us to be really – they want us to be engineers, to build the bridges for them, to – you know, they want us to be doctors, to cure their illnesses. They want us to be entrepreneurs, to provide their shiny goodies. So they want us to think in these abstractions and to be motivated, but at the same time, if we go too far in the abstractions, in other words, if we become philosophers, then we say, well, shit. <laughs> you, you know, what you all doing is yeah. <laughs> – is immoral and, and there's no such thing as a state and religion is, is not true and priests are con men and, you know, then we do all of that and then the whole thing comes crashing down. So it's a really delicate, highly evolved dance with our brains to, to stimulate stuff that is useful to them and to scare and repress stuff that is dangerous to them. And once you see it for what it is, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite entertaining because, of course, there's a lot of human brain carnage in the mix, but it becomes less creepy if that makes any sense
2: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense yeah okay, okay. well i know you got well, thank- other people to get to, so um yeah <laughs> but thanks a lot i really appreciate it
0: yeah i know you had more questions sorry we don't have more time but feel free to call in anytime no, uh, it's a great yeah
2: yeah, yeah yeah i i think i will i mean and again i just want to reiterate how awesome it is that what of what you're doing and and, and how thankful i am that you are doing what you're doing and and, and whatnot that was that was the Overarching, you know, purpose for me calling in today. I just wanted to make sure you knew that, you know, there are people out here like me that that really appreciate what's going on here. Um, so thanks. thanks. <laughs> all right.
0: Okay. Next up today, we have uh, Vedran or Vedran. Oh. I apologize. It's it is show policy and two thirds of the show on the first caller. So I'm afraid we're going to have to bat, have about 28 minutes of silence. If that's okay. No. Sorry. Just go right. ahead. Sorry about that. Good morning, Steph. Good morning. How are you doing, my friend? Good.
1: Um, about two weeks ago, I became a father.
0: <gasps> Congratulations. How thank exciting. Good for thank, you.
1: Thank you I'll very much.
0: You. Your, your part of becoming a father was by far the most enjoyable compared to your wife. But uh.
1: <laughs> So I have a two-part question about parenting. Um, the first part is, if, so if you were making a, a soup... Um, of wonderful parenting. Uh, what are some of the um, ingredients that you would um, put in that soup? And uh, the the I... second part of that question is question. Um, I... how important how important is it to define definitions for your kid growing up?
4: Mm. Mm.
1: Like what right. is a relationship? What is love? What is a religion? Or is that something that uh, you talk about um, as you? I guess, uh, progress in your parenting or your day-to-day yeah. interactions with the kid?
0: It's a great question. Let me let me start with the second one, right? So I think abstractions are really important to talk about when they begin to have an impact on the child. So, uh, I mean, I haven't taught my daughter about religion because religion has no impact on her existence. I haven't taught my daughter okay. about the state. Um, I mean, we occasionally will talk about the bossy ones or who's in charge or kind of thing um and she you know wants to know why the some cars have the lights on them and i said it's because they're disco cars can't you tell by the costume anyway so but but (laughs) we when she starts to experience the impact of an abstraction then i think it's important to explain i don't think it's hugely important to explain ahead of time because kids are empirical right so saying that there's you know such a thing as religion is you know it's it's sort of like learning spanish if you are never going to go speak spanish it's sort of okay well so, but when, once someone is speaking Spanish, then you, you can say, oh, that's Spanish, and here's what, you mean. Know. so I think wait till it impacts. So, for instance, yesterday I was having a conversation with uh, Isabella about, um, about frustration, right, because she's trying to learn how to do things, and she gets frustrated, and she doesn't want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just give you a very brief synopsis of the conversation, but it went something like this. So, I was saying, so frustration is a really helpful emotion, but it can also not be your friend, right? And so I said, um, so if I said, Isabella, you have to jump to the top of that tree, what would you say? She'd say, I can't do it. i say, yes, exactly. Right, so frustration is helpful when it tells you that you can't do something. Right, and I gave her a couple more examples and so on. And then I said, ah, but sometimes frustration tells you you can't do something when you can do something. Right, and we've we went through some examples of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, so frustration is really good because it, it helps you not waste time and energy doing st- trying to do stuff that you can't do. That's good. You know, it's good. Then it's a useful thing. But if it's, if it's stopping you from doing things you could do, then it's not that helpful. And so I said, when I encourage you to do something, it's because I think you can do it. And I, I, like I've, I said, I've never encouraged you to jump to the top of a tree or go dance on the moon or anything because you can't do those things and neither can I but there's things I think you can do that if you listen to me and, and we talk through your frustration you can, you can do those things and so uh, giving so, so she was experiencing frustration in her life and it was keeping um, her from doing things and of course managing frustration is an essential aspect to success in life Because lots of things we try to do that are hard, but possible are very frustrating. And I pointed out, you know, we've played a couple of video games together, and I pointed out how sometimes we get stuck, but we just keep doing it, and then we get to keep going. And uh, I also pointed out one video game that quite rapidly became completely impossible, at least for me, and I said, well, let's play something else, (laughs) because I can't even imagine how I could do this part. Um, Anyway, so... So talking about frustration was really helpful. I mean, it wouldn't have done her much good to talk about frustration before she had experienced it as something she could identify, but once she can identify it, then helping her to recognize both the values and the dangers of frustration was really important, right? Because when you work at something you're frustrated at, you are deferring gratification and the deferring of gratification is one of the single biggest things or that you could learn to to have a successful life. Uh, to, to to work hard, to defer gratification and so on. So so I think that you can explain abstractions in a way that makes sense to them. And, and, and it really worked, right? So uh, later that day, uh, we were playing uh, on the Xbox and uh, she was trying to do something and she was just about to throw down the controller and said, I can't do it. And I said, I think you can. So, ha- you know, have a deep breath. Remember, we talked about frustration. And you can trust me because I've never told you to do something you can't do. So try it again, but more slowly. And it's okay if you, it takes a few tries. And literally, she <laughs> you picked up the controller and did what she, what she wanted to do and did it fine. And I said, oh, fantastic. You know, and then I avoided the I told you so stuff because <laughs> that's always annoying too. Um, but uh, I said, it's good. So, you know, frustration told you it was going to be hard, but not impo- And I told you it wasn't going to be impossible. And so you did it. Uh, fantastic. Good for you. And so that's a lesson for her, which really takes root, right? And the first time, you know, first impressions of ideas really count hugely. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would say, yes, introduce abstractions, but only when the child can process them from some empirical standpoint and provide the utility. And, you know, also as particularly with emotions – Always point out the positives of those emotions, right? So I didn't want to say, well, when you're frustrated, you just got to push through it and you just got to keep trying and you, no, <laughs> no. Sometimes when you're frustrated, it's, you know, you're frustrated. So always point out the positive aspects of their emotions, you know, so, so for anger, right? Point out the positive value of anger and then point out some of the pitfalls or the challenges of anger, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, loneliness. So I mean, Lisa, I don't think I don't think Chris, I don't think she actually just asked her the other day if she'd ever been angry, and she couldn't remember a time. I couldn't either.
1: So is this something that uh, like whatever may come up, is it you wait for the situation to come up, and then you talk about it, or is it is there value to talking about it before?
0: Um, or I mean, I didn't find much value in talking about it before. Right, so if she can't process the concept of frustration, even if she's, experienced, so when she's, you know, 18 months old and she's frustrated at something, there's not much point talking about the abstracts of frustration. I think if she can do something like stacking blocks, then just be patient and show her how overcoming frustration looks, right? So you can show them empirically what overcoming frustration looks. And then you can, when, they can, when they're at a place where they can start to conceptualize, emotions and and they can see beyond like over the hill of the moment into the future then i think it's worth talking about it with them um and so uh, you know you introduce the word and you give them a little bit of time to acclimatize to the word and you use the word in its appropriate context and then you talk about how it actually impacts their life right so i started introducing the word uh, frustration um probably about a year ago and we we talked about it a little bit here and there and uh, oh you're and i first of all it's just around identifying oh you're you look really frustrated to me. Are you feeling frustrated? Yes, I'm feeling really frustrated. Is it because you think you, I can't do it now? And then, you know, so you're feeling like you can't, you can't do it and you want to do it, but you can't do it. And that's really frustrating. I feel frustrated when I have that happen to me too. Right. And so the first thing you want to do, of course, is correctly identify the child's emotions to, to empathize. We all have been there uh, to, to also mirror her emotions. I really want her to understand that what she feels is something that I feel and that, I think most people feel as well i don't want her to feel alone in her emotions so mm-hmm. sometimes fall uh, she would say daddy did you fall like that when you were a boy because she wants to know if where she is is um is consistent with everyone else's experience and so of course i would say um yes i did and here's what happened and so on i got a sliver there too and right so on, that kind of stuff so I think I don't think that introduce I think introducing the word is uh, is worthwhile, but I think introducing the process of how to manage an emotional state comes a, a little later. Uh, so just that. yeah,
1: that makes sense. Um, let's uh, say for example. Go ahead. Um, let's say my kid is playing in the playground with another kid, and um, you know they become friends, I guess, or whatever you call it at that stage. Um, and for whatever reason, it's not working out. Let's say, would it be good to talk about like what the ingredients of a good interaction are or a good relationship are is is there value to that when that comes up or
0: i, I don't think you'll need um so far that hasn't been an issue i don't think that you'll need to um, because if you have consistently provided good interactions to your child you won't need to tell them that somebody who does something different is doing something different okay right so if 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 the TV's on and someone's speaking French, I don't need to tell my daughter, hey, that's not English. (laughs) Because she's like, Mm -hmm. whoa, (laughs) right? And we can talk about that and say different people have different words for different things or whatever, right? And so I would uh, say that if you treat your child with compassion and empathy and curiosity and all those kinds of good things, then you don't need to point out to her that someone else is not doing that because they will immediately know it. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Oh, that makes sense. And
0: like it, of course, right? Mm -hmm.
1: So would it be like, let's say another child does something wrong. Let's say, so would it be something like um, where I have reaffirm my kid that maybe they don't have to play with them, or is it just, I guess, let them play it out? Or
0: well, can you give me a more concrete scenario, like a a child grabs your kid's toys, Uh,
1: or let's say, uh, like it's. A little bit physical. And, um, you mean your Yeah. But in a playful way, let's say, for example. Mm. And w- would I, would
0: I. I don't think, I don't think you can get pushed in a playful way. I mean, pushing okay. is, is basically just taking over someone else's physical space and moving them against their will. I don't think that can be playful. Okay,
1: let's use the example of the toy. Let's somebody grab the toy. Right. So would right. I, like, intervene there and
0: well there's a couple of ways to deal with that right so there's one argument which says that you just let your kid process it themselves be there if they want to ask but they, they, won't, want, they won't want to play with someone who takes their toys right okay so they'll figure it out that's not my particular approach but some people do argue for that
1: um, what would be so- your approach
0: uh, well, my my approach is is to be more proactive, right? So uh, I don't let my daughter play with kids unless I'm playing with them as well. Okay. Right. I mean, so if we're at a playground, I'm not sitting there on my phone while my while my kid is 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 playing with some kids, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I'm always in there, right? And that's going to change the kid's behavior if the kid is not too nice. He's going to be more nice because there's a dad there, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so, you know, if we go to a play center, then, you know, I'm taking my shoes off and I'm having all kinds of rebirthing experiences crawling through the little tubes and, and stuff, right? If we go to Chucky Jeans, then I'm in there playing with her, you know, the whole time. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's what I, do. and obviously that's, that's better for her, right? I mean, when she's with friends that I trust, right, so she's got a circle of friends that are great kids, then I don't have to be there because the kids are going to treat her well and that's all been well-established and so on, right? So until you know the kids and feel comfortable leaving your child alone with the children, then you as a dad have to be in there so that they don't just suddenly randomly get pushed. And that's never happened to Isabella because I'm always there and um, I will – I mean, I'm probably a couple of times – I've seen kids who I don't necessarily think of that positive or great. And therefore, what I do is I'll steer her away from them. I'll say, let's play somewhere else or something like that. But uh, of course, it's your job as the parent to make sure that your child is safe. And until at least they're older, if your child ends up getting pushed, that's on you, right? Uh, That's your fault. Uh, Because you need to be in the environment where... Either the children are not going to push her or, you know, if you don't know the kids, you need to be in there to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, if your kid ends up getting pushed or or someone grabs her toys or someone hits her or whatever, um, that's that's your job as a parent to make sure that doesn't happen. And it's not it's not hard to do it. You just have to be really engaged and involved in what the kid is, is doing and you need to, of course, make sure that you trust your instincts with other people and and so on. And then you can, of course, let all that stuff go away when she's with kids who are really – really great, right? So, of course, I've met some parents through this show, and of course, their kids are fantastic. And uh, hi, Sydney. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> we love them to death, and they're just incredibly great and wonderful and fun. And so, I have no qualms whatsoever about letting them go off and play together. Uh, but uh, until then, I mean, you need to, you know, be, be, be right in there. So, I, I think, again, like, like most things, it's really much more prevention than it is cure, if that makes any sense.
1: Okay. So, going back to uh, part one, The ingredients. Uh, So, would one of the ingredients be don't worry about definitions so much early on, uh, just concentrate on setting a good example and providing a safe environment?
0: Yeah, I I think so. I think so. I mean, your, your child is going to learn concepts first and foremost through your actions. So, children are focused on people before they're focused on the world. And I mean, this is fairly well studied, right? Babies will look at faces before they'll look at even shiny things or things with lights or whatever. So, children. Have to, I mean, we evolved to survive within the tribe, which means that the children have to study the people before they study stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, your child's relationship with just about everything and everyone, including himself or herself, is going to be defined and, and hardwired pretty much into their brains by your actions and your behavior towards them when they're very little. And so uh, if you if you spend the time and you, you get engaged in the first, um, I don't know, I don't know what the exact time frame is. Uh, I know that it's beginning to diminish now a little bit that my daughter's four. Uh, I know that's not always that easy for everyone. But if you get really involved and you're very consistent and so on, then there's a lot you won't have to teach them if you're consistent. And there's a lot you'll have to teach them that they probably won't learn if you're not consistent because, you know, the children are natural empiricists. So, but they're empiricists of people more, more so than they are empiricists of stuff. So if you're in there and you're consistent and you're proactive and you're positive, uh, I think that's that's really important. Uh, noticing their emotional states and responding to those emotional states is very important. So they get a sense that who they are affects other people and that other people know who they are because that's intimacy, right? It's, it's being known. And so, you know, if uh, if my daughter looks um, sad, I'll say, oh, you're you sad. You look sad to me. And then she might laugh and say, no, no, I'm just playing or whatever, right? Um, but uh, it's really important to reflect back their emotions so that you understand and, and to ask them questions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so uh, yeah, but just recognize that, you know, when, when you're around adults, you're kind of painting on clouds, you know? Like, I mean, so much of who they are is – or I guess you could say you're trying to sculpt – hardened rock <laughs> doesn't really do much you may chip a nail or a rock or whatever but when you're with kids i mean they're very malleable they're incredibly impressionable we know this because you know muslim kids grow up muslim and catholic kids go up catholic and so on and so i think being respectful of the impressions that you make uh, on on children and how impressionable they are and to be aware that uh you know even one time raised voice even one time uh getting inappropriately angry at a child is, you know, it's like a handprint into mud that hardens almost immediately. It is, it is extremely uh, negative and, and very hard to recover from. I don't know about impossible, but certainly very hard. And I think that really helps. Uh, And of course, remember the, remember the helplessness of the child and remember that, you know, she, she ain't there by choice. He ain't there by choice and can't go anywhere. I Man, I know that. Like, so if I have some errands to run and uh, my wife's busy, then well, she has to come with me on my errands. I mean, she probably doesn't want to do that. I mean, <laughs> we try and make it fun or whatever. But I will always say, thank you for, for coming on the errands. And I will always say, I know it wasn't much. You know, it wasn't as much fun as some other things. We'll try and make it fun, but we do have to go get some groceries. So we have to go and do X, Y, Z. We have to go put some money in the bank. Whatever is going on, and to recognize that she's not there by choice, right? So. If we go out for dinner, right, I mean, I, I just never say, well, I'm just going out for dinner. It's like I'm always appreciative of the fact that she's coming out to dinner with me. You know, I mean, it's, it's just the really, really important thing is just, just never take the child's inability to choose for granted. They are there. They can't go anywhere. They didn't choose to be there. They didn't choose you as your dad. And so you've got to win them over. It, it, you know, people just take it for granted. Well, my kid's here, and therefore, you know, I, don't, I can just take that relationship for granted. They can't go anywhere. But that's the exact opposite of what is true. What, what is true is, yes, they can't go anywhere, and therefore you need to woo them, so to speak, much more than you would anyone else, right? And you think of the amount of energy you put into wooing, you know, your wife or your partner or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, at least you should. And, and, and then you say, oh, well, we're married, so I don't have to woo her anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> now you're married, you've got to woo her even more. And, and make her all the more thankful to be married to you every day because the stakes are much higher if she gets unhappy. Now, if after three dates she doesn't want to go out with you anymore, yeah, it's a little sad, but whatever, right? But if you've got two kids and your lives are all wound in together and then she suddenly decides she doesn't want to be with you anymore, whoa, <laughs> right? So there is a natural inertia and a tendency to start to take things for granted when they're no longer perceived to be voluntary. I and mean, this is what's so dangerous about the state, of course. But really, you know, avoid that like the plague, avoid that like the plague, the more, quote, involuntary the relationship is, the higher your standards need to be to make that person uh, enjoy the relationship. Uh, And I think that's just something to remember as well. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And congratulations. Uh, A boy or a girl? It's a boy. Ah, excellent. Okay. Well, sorry, I should have asked that beforehand to work in the pronouns, but I'm sure it doesn't matter too much in the parenting. But uh, congratulations again. I hope uh, I hope you have a great time with it. And please call questions. I've got some uh, on my website. I've got a a couple of podcasts on philosophical parenting, particularly dealing with the early years. I hope the I hope this will be of utility if you if you choose to listen to them.
1: Oh, uh, sorry. uh, Just one more thing. There was a book um, you recommended uh, parental effectiveness training to me uh, through an email, and but there was another book uh, regarding um, like overpraising your kids. Oh, it wasn't
0: article and this is um, uh, the and the article basically said that if you overpraise your children uh, if, you, if you save and particularly if you praise abilities rather than effort then it can have a negative effect on their efficacy so if you say to your kid you're just so smart then they may end up not being very keen on doing things that make them not look smart because their definition is well they're just smart whereas if you say you worked really hard at that you know, great, mm-hmm. then you know they're appreciated, or they gain an internal respect for themselves for working hard rather than something that's just innate. because if someone says, "Well, you're just really smart," then if you try something and fail that's intelligence based, then you feel like you're not meeting the definition, you're not measuring up, and there's a failure on your part. But if you praise a child for the work that he or she does then that's uh, probably more more positive. And I'm going through that phase at the moment. I mean, I was just, I'm so blown away by everything my daughter can do that I I probably am a bit of a praise fetishist, you know, like, because I I truly, I'm being honest, right, with her. Like, it is incredible that we can have conversations about the the, the costs and pitfalls of frustration when she just turned four. I mean, that is an incredible thing to me. Uh, It is incredible that she can uh, figure out logic puzzles and, and, and all the, you know, learn stuff that I don't know how to do on the iPad and stuff. I mean, that is incredible to me. Um, so I don't want to not be honest, but the other thing too, is that, um, you know, <laughs> my wonderment and amazement and, and passion for her abilities, I, I don't want her to feel that somehow she just has these innate abilities that are just amazing because I think that may blunt her capacity or desire to work, which is why we've also been talking about frustration. So.
1: Okay, great. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right, next up today, we have Anthony.
0: All right, let Let's sound press continue. Hello. Anthony, my friend.
4: Hello, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Um, I was finding what you were talking about um, regarding frustration really interesting because I teach piano in Glasgow, and I earn the children's trust by not forcing them to do anything. They don't want to do, I pick out the kind of pieces that I think they'll like, I'll show them them, and they can choose what to learn and what not to learn. Um, or they can bring in things that they want to learn. So when I find that I'm in a situation where I'd like them to, to try something out, and I think their motive for not wanting to do it is they're scared, they think it's too hard, or something like that. I can say, look, you know, do you just want to try it out for ten minutes? And if you still don't want to play this piece, we'll we'll move on to something else. And cause I I build up the trust by not sort of forcing anything on them, they never say no. They 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 know that I've got their interests at heart. So I liked hearing your example of explaining that sometimes frustration is an indication that we can't do something and at other times it's maybe just fear fearfulness
0: Right, I appreciate that, yeah No. and I think that's true but that is a long process right to build up trust right so you know for instance getting your kids to try new food uh, it's tough you know I mean, they already have food they like uh, but I want to expand my daughter's horizon so getting her to try new music, I'm, I'm always trying to introduce I mean music is such an incredible part of, of my life and I obviously want to share that joy if, if she's receptive and she seems to be so, of course, she wants to hear the same song again, right? So, mm-hmm. she loves um, uh, Bad, Bad Leroy Brown by Queen. She loves Rich Girl by Hall and & Oates and some other songs. So, uh, Give a Little Bit by Supertramp, some songs that I've introduced her to. And so, I tried, yeah, picked up a blues CD. I want to get her into some blues and stuff. And she's like, I don't want to hear it. Like, I want to hear the other song. I'm like, but, but every song that you love, you had to hear for the first time once, right? So, otherwise… Yeah. We, we, never would have heard any music, or B, we'd have only ever heard one song, and so every song that you like, so, you know, it's your thing, you know, listen to it for a minute, if you don't like it, we won't play it again for a while, and and so, just getting them to, to try new things, nice foods, and all that kind of stuff is is a challenge, uh, and you just have to try and make the case, and you have to accept the notes, if, if that's what it is.
4: Yeah, um, I had one child who really doesn't like reading music, so... Once I introduced her to a piece and said um, that I could just teach her by ear, and I said, "Do do you know why I've chosen? You know, do you know why I chose this piece to show you?" And she was like, "Because I don't like reading music." And she was nine, so they do get it if you've got their interests at heart. I think.
0: Right, and why do you think that approach? I mean, because that's not obviously. Uh, sorry, uh, people said it's right. Bring back that Leroy Brown. Sorry, the Jim Croce song is bad, bad Leroy Brown. Bring back that Leroy Brown as a Queen song. But why, oh, why do you think... First, it's something you came into your, uh, your tutoring with.
4: Well, you know, when I was about 16, 17, I read the book Summerhill by A.S. Neal. Are you aware of that?
0: Yes, uh, an alternative schooling, isn't it? Is that right?
4: Yeah, yeah. And that kind of launched me into being really interested in parenting. This is, the, this is the same way as you are. And then I, I read How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. And that was just a guidebook to how my mom did not talk to me growing up. So it was really therapeutic to read it because I was like, okay, so I wasn't insane for not enjoying that. Um, uh, experience, you know, so that, that's how I got into it. So, uh, and then obviously um, coming up with FDR, uh, finding out about FDR, our, we, our views on how to change the world were very similar in that respect. Although I was very much a person, a liberal, or very much on the left of politics when I first started listening. Or, or less so, because I'd been listening to other libertarian speakers on YouTube. So, but I, I, basically believed the foundation of changing society was changing child rearing, just like you did when I was introduced to FDR. So that made us congruent, and it made it easier to get into your way of thinking.
0: It struck me. Um, I was uh, had an interview with training. In fact, effective was training training, and I did some research and came across somebody who had an accent very similar to yours, if not the same. Uh, have you done YouTube videos on how to empathize with children?
4: Yes, yes. I'm amazed you saw
0: that. I thought it was wonderful. So how cool is that? Give me the link. I'll, I'll put it on the Facebook page. I'd like to drive some more traffic if I can to that video. Um, I, I thought it was just—it uh, was really, really nice. Actually, it wasn't even the topic that I needed, but I was like, I would just listened to it because it was like, whoa, this dude. Has some peace, calm, and wisdom. So it's really, really nice to chat with you. How, how wonderful!
4: Oh, thank you. I can't tell you how touched I am that you listened to that. Um, I'd like to obviously improve the audio of the quality of the files, but the fact that you listened to it and you liked it—that really means a lot. Thank you.
0: Oh, good. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad. Uh, and you know, keep, keep on, keep on doing it. You never know, who, uh, <laughs> you know, who's going to listen uh, and who's going to change based on it. So uh, that's, that's very cool.
4: Yeah. I'm just finishing up at uni then I want to make more of these podcasts, you know, about dealing with nose, and um, I might sample some of your video on tantrums and add a bit to it if you don't mind and things like that.
0: Yeah, it's too bad you're not in (laughs) I mean, I'd like to get her into music but um, I'm I'm always a little concerned about the the, the teachers and the sort of sergeant major music uh, teacher uh, who tends to be a bit more, you know, you have to practice, and if you don't practice, you won't learn.
4: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I the the children they adore me, and their parents adore me because of that. It's it's, it's really quite amazing. They I, I I volunteered for a while in primary school as well. It was the same kind of idea. Most of the teachers were really authoritarian, but the difficult kids were not difficult with me. They got the fact that I wasn't trying to cause trouble for them. They, they, they could sense that I was on their side. Um, I've got an example if you wouldn't mind me telling you. And Please. I, I might lead into the question I originally phoned for. So the teacher took the kids outside to learn about lines of symmetry and she was doing the whole control the fun thing, you know. But if there's one word out of you guys, you know, Uh, we'll we'll all come back in and you have to be in your best behavior. So, okay, she gave each child a piece of chalk and put them in pairs and said, one of you draw half a shape, the other one, complete the shape, and then you can draw on the lines of symmetry. Good exercise. Some of the children just decided to write out their names, uh, just a couple of them, and... Man, did she bawl at them. I mean, she was like, is your name symmetrical? And, oh, well, it took the shock off them. So as soon as I saw this, I just had an instinct and I kind of swooped in and I just went up to one of them and was like, is your name, sorry, I said, what letters in your name are symmetrical? And he just looked up at me quizzically for a moment and then poked, pointed at the capital A, I was like, okay, good, you can draw a line of symmetry through the A, and then went through his name and O and N, whatever letters were symmetrical, he put the lines through it. Now, the teacher saw that, and to her credit, she didn't seem terribly challenged by it. She was just, you know, she didn't seem like she felt threatened by me doing that, she seemed quite impressed. Um, I really won those kids' respect that day. Um, One of them used to high-five me in the corridors after that, and one sat on either side of me at assembly. Uh, One of each of these two suits sat on either side of me. Um, And they were kids that were considered sometimes to be a bit difficult. Um, I didn't think they were difficult. I thought they needed... A different form of education because they weren't the kind of children that could cope with being all around, ordered around all the time. <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I had. Uh, I think that one of the formation, sort of formative experiences that I had was for a couple of years working uh, in, in a daycare as a teacher's assistant or a co-teacher or whatever. Probably a teacher's assistant is the right thing. I'm still a teenager. And this was a, a really rough neighborhood with with rough, tough kids from broken homes. And they were uh, they were a handful, to say the least. Um, but I was a big um, fan of Tolkien. I mean, I guess I still am. But um, uh, so I was telling them the story of the Silmarillion. And because uh, they just – I don't know. I just started telling the story one day as we were drawing pictures. And they, they really wanted to know more. And they really wanted to know the whole story. And, you know, every day I would go um, – I sort of arranged school when I was, I think, I was 15 when I started there, and I worked there for a couple of years, and I arranged with the school to leave 15 minutes early every day, because I had to get there by 3.30, and it was two bus rides away, and every day, they'd say, like, tell us more of the story. We'd we'd sit down, and I would tell them the story a a little bit more each day, and they were wrapped with attention. I mean, and these were kids who I'm sure now, maybe even back then, would be ADHD, or, you know, they had trouble focusing, but to me, kids... Can, they can do just about anything and the challenge of course is what people do is they say well i'm not interesting my kids or i'm not interesting to the kids therefore there's something wrong with the children and yeah, that is yeah, so, yeah. yeah that's just the opposite of what the free market is right i mean if you some product that nobody buys do you then get to say well what we need to do you see is we need to drug our customers so that they like our product i mean that would be holy I mean, if, if any company even suggested that and that got out i mean there would be lawsuits there would be criminal charges there would be horror uh, stock sell-offs uh, ostracism uh, there would be boycotts i mean uh, you know but they don't like our product and so let's drug them so they like our product i mean that was just horrendous but of course this is a public school right <laughs> they're not engaged
4: yeah, I, I, love, I love your example if children could walk out of classes if they weren't engaged fingers would be pointed at the teachers that were poor, because it's like, why Why is your history class empty? Are you really that boring? History, seriously? Everyone likes a good story.
0: Yeah, I mean, my daughter is, is fascinated by history, but it has to be, you know, because the, the question I had when you were telling your story about symmetry is, why are we learning symmetry? I, I, I resolutely yeah. try to teach my daughter anything that does not have some utility in her life at the moment, unless it's just like a fun story or whatever, right? Like we're reading through The Hobbit and she, she loves it and half the games we play are smorg and <laughs> The Great Goblin and all this kind of... Of course, I'm editing out the gory bits as I read, but, um, you know, they chase the goblins away with their swords. They don't skewer them like shish kebabs, but...
3: Um,
0: <laughs> it's just a fun story. Even that has practical utility in her life because we then have a world... In which to play, act right. So, like yesterday, oh, we built yeah, this. Yeah,
4: that sounds fantastic.
0: So we were, you know, how do we build the fort? How should we make it strong so that Smog can't come in? And she also tries to figure out ways to make mean characters nice, right? Because oh. the conversations about why is Smog mean? Why? Why is the great goblin not nice? Why is Hopper from A Bug's Life not nice? And we have to ask those questions because it's really important. But that has very practical value to her life, because of course.
4: Smog is so mean because he's got all those teeth and he can't smile. Ah, well, no, but see, that's 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 not causal, right? Because then uh, she'll meet or big
0: teeth or whatever, and she'll make that inference, and then I'll have to say. Well, no, right. So, so she'll meet—I uh, don't know—some some creature that has a lot of teeth that is nice, and then I'll have to change that, and then so I'll have given her a rule that I can't sustain. So, um, uh,
4: right, so yeah, that was poor on my part.
0: Yeah, no, it's fine. I mean, it's it's a fun story, but I always try to give her stuff that, right? So, so I do say, well, uh, dragons are like dinosaurs, and dinosaurs a lot of them will lay their eggs and then just wander off, and the kids just survive on their own, or the kids have to run away because the mommy and daddy will eat the children. I mean, because that's, you know, dinosaurs. Oh. And,
4: you know, maybe the medulla smog, uh, oblongata. I'm sorry? The medulla oblongata is uh, bigger in reptiles? Is that it?
0: Um, yeah, sorry. you just I, I, I know that's a part of the brain, but I, <laughs> I'm afraid you stepped a little bit. But what I can say is that, you know, Smorg uh, probably grew up uh, – his, his mommy and daddy left him. He had to fight to survive on his own. He didn't have – his brothers and sisters were stealing food from him, and they weren't helping him, and so nobody's really helped him. So he's just kind of wanted to just take what he wants, and he doesn't really know much about how to how to help and how to be helped. So he just – everything for him is like I win and you lose, right? We've talked a lot about win-lose negotiations because we always try to find win-win ones. And then, of course, she's fascinated with, well, how can we change Smork to be nicer? And I said, well, that's that's tough. You know, some people you can change to be nicer, but I think some people uh, it's not it's not really possible. In fact, it can be kind of dangerous to try. Right, So I said, you know, if you're, if you're walking in the jungle and there's a lion, uh, you, don't, you don't just sort of offer him a piece of broccoli and think you're going to save yourself, right? What would he do? He'd eat me. Right? <laughs> yes, that's right. So, uh, if the person has you know, really changed and doesn't really want to be nice, then it's dangerous to try. But if the person wants to try and be nice, then it may be worth it. So anyway, I'm just still blown away by the conversation I can have with someone who's four. Yeah,
4: I, I, I'm blown away by it as well. That's a, that was a lovely story. Thank you for sharing it with me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, yeah. the, the reason I, the original thought I had to phone out, phone up about was for, uh, well, was about light bulbs. Why are people so fucking crazy when it comes to light bulbs? This could be your parents or your roommate. You left the light on. If I see a light on, I turn it off. And if you say to them, well, you know, I'll tell you what, um, instead of telling me when the light switch is left on, why don't you just flip the switch and I'll leave a jar of pound coins and every time every time I leave a light bulb on, you can just take a pound coin and not bother me with it. It's like, no, no, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. Um, I'll still tell, okay, I'll do that, but I'll still tell you. It's like, well, what, what is it about? It's about the environment. Oh, really? Well, you know, I'm a vegetarian. You know how much energy goes into buying that burger? That's like enough, uh, making that burger. That's like enough energy to run the lights for like uh, weeks. So um, I don't think that me leaving the light on is a really big um, thing when it comes to saving energy. And they'll just say, well, you know, it's just common courtesy. I've, it's also common courtesy not to um, bitch at uh, someone for such a trivial thing as leaving a light switch on. Um, and no matter what argument you give, it really only comes down to them wanting to admonish you. Right. Is that Have not you, true? Am I wrong?
0: Yeah, I hear you you ever read A Long Day's Journey Into Night by Eugene O'Neill?
4: No. Um, should I?
0: I? I think everyone should read it. I mean, it's, it's an incredible play. I mean, the, the man was just a stone genius. Um, of course, he was the son of a famous stage actor uh, and so on. So he knew the theme. Now, and the reason I'm bringing up is, and I, you know, I don't think this spoils anything for anyone, so if you're going to read it, you don't want any spoilers, just switch over, switch past the next few seconds family. The father's a drunk, and this is all you know fairly revealed early on. So The, the, the mother's a morphine addict, and the father's a drunk, and this was completely autobiographical on the part of the writer. In fact, he wrote this play. He, he, it was never going to be produced until at least 10 years after his death. So he'd written one of the most incredible plays of the 20th century. He never even saw it performed, and he, he would not allow it to be performed until at least 10 years after he was d- dead. And interestingly enough, uh, the, 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 the playwright gave his character, the, the character who was based on him, the name of a child who died in the family. Uh, this was, again, just what an agonizing family this was to, to, to grow up in. And there's an argument about the light bulb. And, you know, the, the father is drunk and is, is yelling at the kid about his son, who's an adult at this point, is yelling at his son about the goddamn light. And the son says to the father, look, I, I, I've, I've shown you the math. It costs pennies for that light to be on. It's nothing, but, but the dad won't let it go. And, I mean, clearly, if, you've got, if the father's a drunk and he's married to a morphine addict who's raving and crazy, the light bulb clearly is not the issue, right? It's not the big issue for the family to be talking about. Maybe the drunkenness, uh, the dead boy, and the drug-addicted mother would be something to talk about, but it's a way of not talking about stuff to focus on inconsequentialities. That's the first thing I think to, to recognize. The second thing to recognize is that most people feel pretty thwart- frustrated in their life. And that's partly as, as a result of the culture that we live in uh, and their upbringing. And it's also partly as a result of their own choices. Uh, and uh, particularly people who, as they start to get into the, I don't know how old you are, but particularly as they, people start to get into the late twenties and early thirties, there's a phase where, you know, the people start to panic a little bit. Like, okay, if I'm not going to do it now, whatever it is I'm going to do, when when the hell am I going to do it? Right. I mean, so sometimes, um even now, I'll sit and think. As I'm 46, I've become actors or singers or whatever it is, and I'm like, oh man, you know, they really took. But and if I was working in some dead end job, and I'd be like, well, shit, that's never going to happen to me now. Right. I mean, when I was younger, I went to the most prestigious theater school in Canada, and I was thinking of being an actor, playwright. And of course, if I was in my 40s now, I'd be like, well, it's not really likely to happen now. I mean, I guess, you know, it's Grandma Moses and stuff. But for the most part, she's in news because she's rare. So there are people who get kind of frustrated and they feel like they're not achieving what they want. They feel like they're thwarted uh, and they're self-thwarted at this point, right? Because if you if you feel thwarted by other people, you get angry at them. If you feel thwarted by your own unwillingness to take risks, unwillingness to follow your dreams, unwillingness to do something positive and powerful and hopefully good in the world, then you feel humiliated. Right? Cowardice is, is very humiliating. And so what happens is when people feel humiliated, they will either try to deal with that and the humiliation will say, listen, I'm not pursuing my dreams. I'm not doing what I want. And So I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to write that play. I'm going to uh, write that song. I'm going to pick up that guitar. I'm going to ask that girl out. I'm going to quit my dead-end job. I'm going to go back to school. Whatever it takes to get your life to where you want it to be, then you'll take those actions. But a lot of people won't take that. What they'll do is they'll feel humiliated and out of control because cowardice is a lack of control. It's like closing your eyes when you're driving. <laughs> you're, we're always driving. We either drive with our eyes open or closed. And if you're closed it's out of control, then they will attempt to exert control over other people in, in a way of offsetting their own lack of control, right? They'll attempt to, to try and get a sense of regaining control by putting someone else's down. It's called leveling, right? So I feel humiliated and I can't abide that feeling of humiliation, so I'm going to go humiliate someone else. And the way they do that is that they hook into some meme that somebody else accepts, Right, So um, you know, I had a girlfriend once who uh, consistently complained that I was messy, and I'm, I'm really not a very messy person. I, I really quite like being able to find things. I generally tidy up after myself. I'm pretty, pretty tidy. Uh, and, um, but, she, but, but I accepted this idea that I was messy, and then that just became something she could crap at me about, and I would accept it. And the ironic thing is that visiting her years later for unrelated reasons, her place is a complete pigsty. (laughs) It's just wow, what an insight that was. But but um, if people can get you to believe something that you will submit to them about, it's bad to leave the lights on. Well, if you believe that, and you believe that it's about that, I'm not saying you do. Of course, you don't, right? But then they can gain regain a sense of control or power by humiliating you i mean it's a pretty pathetic way for them to to attempt to avoid their own failures in life and it's 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 a desperate problem because it means that they're not actually out there getting the life that they want but i don't know i mean i found it sort of useful to i mean i, I had a conversation with a, a professor uh at a social event some time back where he was uh crabbing about uh global warming and stuff and I said, well, you know, you can kinda of make it it's a tough living, but you can make a living as a podcaster and the great thing is you never have to drive to work anymore. Wouldn't that be really great for the environment, right? Uh, so you should you know quit your job as a professor and you should pass so that you don't have a negative impact
4: practice what you preach. Yeah, I
0: mean and so that would be really doing something and of course I think you'll actually reach a lot more people and you got fifty people in your classes but you can reach Tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of people over the internet, so you know you can make a living, you're better for the environment, you're reaching more people, so you should do that and I mean, I was being a, <laughs> a bit uh, facetious, of course, because I mean I knew that I knew that it's not about, it's not about the environment, it's not about the environment it's it's just about having control and and creating people about something and also creating the sense of impending doom that so many people have, right so. Anyway, I just uh, wanted to point that out. Sorry for the long-winded response, but you can ask the person, you know, let's, let's just put aside the issue of the lights for the moment. Are you, do you have the kind of life that you dreamed of? Do you have the kind of life that you wanted as a, as a little kid? Do you, do you have a deeply satisfying... And the people who are crabbing, do they?
4: Hmm. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what I was wondering. You know, how do you respond to that? Um. I can't imagine that approach would go down well. I think people would get really defensive, like, what's that got to do with, what's that got to do with anything? Well,
0: um, let me ask you this: What do you think it costs you to be around people this petty?
4: Sure, and i <laughs> yeah, you're quite right, and you know, I wouldn't. Um I I don't have friends of that variety. It's it's funny that you mentioned a play. Um because I was actually going to try try to start writing one called The Everyday Authoritarian that was just you know a short about this exact thing, the whole list of rationalizations for the light bulb thing. Um this well, that um, in the context, I should probably confess, was born of something that happened, um, well, a couple of times when I was visiting my parents. Um, the, the first incident or second incident really blew up with my dad, who's all right for the main part. Um, I get on with him, okay? Um, when I tried to pin him down for a reason why I should care so much about the light bulb, I went through the money thing, and then I went through the environment. He said, oh, the environment. I went through the environment thing. I, whatever else he could rationalize. He just kept on trying to cut off the conversation. Can we just close it? Can we just close it? No, because if you're asking that I turn lights off after myself, I want to know why you want to do it. So, Well, when you, know, you have a house and you have children, then sometimes you'll want them to do things And I was like, no, (laughs) that's not my approach to dealing with children. But okay, so that was, this is going back a few months, but the topic was something I wanted to raise with you because I thought it was interesting. The worst case of this was about four or five, six in the morning. My mother went downstairs to find a light switch still on and woke me up screaming about. The fact that there was a light left on downstairs—it's like seriously, seriously—you're going to wake me up at half five in the morning about a fucking light bulb. Right. So that's uh, how the—that's how it all came up. Um, and I just thought it would be interesting to find out your views on why um, people are so perturbed by such petty things. I mean, very often, I'll go in the kitchen and someone will have left the butter out or something like that, and I just pop it back in the fridge. I don't feel the need to criticize anyone about it.
0: Yeah, okay, but let me me just remind you, uh, at least this is all by conjecture, right? I don't obviously know your parents, but, oh, my friend, do you not know that most people live in a dream? Most people live in a delusional fantasy of language. And we know this because they refer to themselves as citizens, they refer to countries, they refer to gods, they refer to culture. They re- I mean, as if these things are real, right? They live mm-hmm. in a, a highly manipulative, controlled dream. So when very excited, so to speak, or get very emotionally invested in something, it's because it is a metaphor for something much more important. So if you look at light. I mean, it is a very powerful metaphor. It's illumination, it's, it's control of your environment, it's technology, it's modernism, it's freedom, capitalism, and these things weren't developed by governments, right? So if your mother, for instance, feels that she doesn't have any power in her life, then she's going to have a metaphorical relationship to power.
4: Right. I love what you're saying. It's fascinating.
0: So if she had a dream, right? So if she had a dream where she said, I dreamt that I went downstairs, my son had left the, the light on and I got really angry. Well, I mean, a therapist or, you know, some idiot on the internet would probably say, well, that's very important. And it's not about the light, obviously, right? It's about something to do with power, with control of your son, with energy, with whatever it is, right? I mean, the environmental movement as a whole is completely irrational. It is a dream, and it really—I mean, most people think that the government is their mommy and daddy, for God's sakes. I mean, in religion, it's even more explicit. Mother Mary, our father in heaven, right? I mean, they call the priest padre. They call the priest father, right? So people are living in a dream where if you question religion, then you are attacking their father. And so, when people tell you what they're upset about, for the most part, what they're saying is, I had a dream, and this was my dream, and you analyze it in terms of the dream, not in terms of reality, because most people have such an emotional and irrational relationship to reality that it is almost exactly the same as a dream content that you would bring to, to someone to talk about.
4: That is absolutely fascinating to me, and if my mum were to say I had this dream um, where the light was, my son left the light on downstairs, or if, if someone else brought me this dream and I was to analyse them for it and I went nuts, I, I would be able, if my mum had that dream, I'd be able to interpret it. I'd say, because in my life I have amazing friendships and I learned all the skills over the last couple of years to have those kinds of uh, relationships, reflective listening, um, healthy emotional expression, all those things. And I got the rewards for it. And since I moved out of home uh, 10 years ago, I was always reading self-help books. I was always trying to improve my situation. And finally I got the results from it. I got the payoff in my life. My mum... And my, my judgment is that she avoids taking responsibility for her life. Um, she doesn't appreciate what hand she has in creating the situation. She, uh, and she does the three Bs of um, not accepting responsibility, which is blaming, uh, bitching, and berating. Um, and so if I was to analyze the dream, I'd say, well, you know, your son's the... Your son keeps on reminding you because of the fact that he's this life that is on. Um, he's reminding you that he's taking responsibility for his life and you don't do that because all my friends really admire what I have achieved in the last couple of years through volition and they compliment me for it. The one person who can't admire it is her because if she... She says, well, everyone has a way of coping with life and learning these things is just your way of coping, like a leveler, you know. So if she was to compliment me for my volition, it would be an admission that she doesn't take volition. That's how I would that's how I would analyze that dream.
0: And, And she has to wake you up so that she can stay asleep. Right, that so so the the light that's on is your self knowledge, your illumination, your power, your power. And she feels like she doesn't have any power, and so she's terrified of wasting it. Right, so the father in A Long Day's Journey Into Night is powerless in in life. He's he's powerless to alcohol. Uh, he's powerless. To change his wife's drug addiction, he's powerless in his his career. He carries around because he played Hamlet when he was younger, and this is all based upon Eugene O'Neill's real father. He played Hamlet when he was younger and got the most amazing compliments from the most respected actors and critics, and he carried this around in his wallet. And then he got sucked into doing some Count Monte Cristo bullshit play for like the next twenty five years and wasted his talent. So he was powerless even to pursue his artistic goals as an actor. And so he, he's got no power in his life. And so the idea that somebody is wasting power is terrifying.
3: That's it's terrifying.
0: Amazing. Nothing to do. This is why the sun says, I've told you, it's, it's pennies. It doesn't matter. You make a fortune doing this play. And so it, does, it doesn't matter. We are, we're spending more energy complaining about this than, than is actually used up by the light bulb in a year. And, but it has nothing to do with the oh. light bulb. It is... Hour, and your mother has to wake you up because otherwise she would have to deal with the feelings not in a metaphorical way by projecting, by creating a dream out of reality, but in a real way by actually saying, It's not about the life, what's it about? She has to go wake you up and have a fight with you. You can sleep to the reality of her avoidance.
4: Yeah, people always come back to that oh, it's just a matter of principle. What's the counter to the argument? It's just a matter of principle. What the fuck does that mean?
0: The principle is to not waste power?
4: Yeah, to not, to not leave lights on. What, 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 the, what the fuck? What does that mean?
0: Well, it means that they're trying to make it a moral argument where you're in the wrong uh, and you're in the And the argument against it is simply curiosity. Oh, can you tell me more about these principles of yours? Uh, about not wasting energy so i mean you can go through the math if you want which may make them mm-hmm. open to realize silly it is and say okay well so the light on costs you know i mean i i used to have this little thing about um recharging um you know phones and and ipads and so on because i thought it was a lot of money it turns out it's like pennies a year it's just nonsense so i've given up on all that sort of nonsense but because you know once i got the math it's like okay well <laughs> forget that or but But it also may have to do with the fact that I felt a bit depleted running FDR and the recharging became a a dream for me, a metaphor for me. I mean that's certainly possible but um, you can look at the math and then you can simply point out that – I mean, they're using more energy because you know the energy it takes to fight has to be replenished with food energy right <laughs> and the food energy takes a lot of energy to grow uh, and transport and this and that and the other right so, so absolutely they're wasting more energy talking about this light bulb than you are saving energy in turning the light bulb off that's sort of the first thing the second thing of course is that if you want someone to change their behavior is it a principle that screaming and dragging them out of the bed is the best way to do it I mean if this is such a principled person and, and let's say that it is a noble goal to get the light bulbs turned off, and it is so important that it's worth having a fucking family crisis about it and dragging people out of bed at god-awful farmer hours. Let's say that it is such an important issue. What is the best way to get someone to change their mind about a repetitive issue? I mean, is it to continue to do the same old shit which hasn't worked, right? Because everything that led up to you being dragged out of bed at half five in the morning didn't work. And so if it's, this is a continuation, where's the principle? Where's the empiricism, right? So you can say, well, mom, you're asking me to be empirical about a light switch and energy and so on, but are you being empirical about the best way to change people's minds about something that's important to you, or are you just acting out in the same old way? So let's not, let's, and she'd have to admit that it's not a very good way to get people to change their minds, to just scream at them and drag them out of bed or whatever. And so you'd say, okay, well, let's, so clearly this is not an argument about principles. um, So let's figure out what it's really about. I mean, that to me would be a real breakthrough because if it, and what I would say as well is something like this. So, Mom, if, because if we think it's about principles, but it's about some emotional stuff, then we're not going to be able to solve the problem, right? Or it's like that old joke about the guy who is looking for his keys by a yeah, light. To, to
4: them, the problem is that you've left let the light bulb on, to be honest. That's all, that's, that's all you're going to get because they're never going to accept that you are never going to accept that.
0: You can also say, what if I have some unconscious resistance to being dragged out of bed and screaming? And what if I don't want to turn the light bulb off because I'm surrendering to power rather than to reason? Right. So reason with me about the light bulb in ways that I can understand, and let's have a commitment to not scream at me about the light bulb because that doesn't make me want to change. In fact, that just makes – and you know that. I mean everybody knows. You scream at someone, they'll just dig their heels in. You might get immediate compliance, but they'll just dig their heels in, right? So you can use it, of course, as an opportunity to look at better ways of communicating and so on. But if the person remains resolutely committed to the surface of things, then you really can't do much just to solve anything, right? Sure. No, it's only – a. And it's only about the environment and I care so much about the environment and a couple of kilojoules of energy or a couple of joules of energy that I'm willing to drag my son out of bed and, and scream at him because that's how much I care about the environment and it's only about the environment and so on. It's like, okay, well, then, you know, we can't, can't you can't talk about it. If people think that it's about something it's not about, then there's nothing really to talk about. I mean, I guess yeah. you, can, you can turn the lights off if you want, but it's not going to make any difference to your mom's life. She's just going to find something else. and of course, if her dreams are unachievable now, then it's she will be all the more committed to surface pseudo empiricism rather than the true reality of things. Right, right. So uh, you know, there's a time when you can change your outcome by changing your behavior, but change is not a lifelong privilege. Right. Change doesn't last forever. I, I, I'm too old to become a gymnast. I'm, you know, I'm too old to become a, an Olympic swimmer. I'm like, that stuff is all past for me. It, 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 those, those, there's no circling back to those forks in the road. And when people have passed the point of no return for achieving their dreams, they really tend to double down on their fantasies, right? It becomes like morphine for a sick person. Oh, sorry. I think we've uh, lost him, James. If we could move on to the next caller, thank you for Yeah, so sorry about that. Um, all right, we got a phone caller. Add him on now. A phone! Ah, oh, how antique. <laughs> how retro. Hello, hello. Can you hear me?
2: i just just ringing them up now. They're we're not on the line. Hello? Hello? Hello, Hi. this is living Hi, on the line.
5: <laughs> How how retro, huh? I'm in the middle of, I call it Polygamyville, Utah. I've talked to you one other time, and we don't have a whole lot of, you know, comforts out here, and my Skype, you know, is just... But anyways, I'll get right to my question. I'm I'm very fascinated with the discussion, and my husband is in bed with me listening to, to this, and he's, been, like, nodding his head, and he's, he's thoroughly enjoying uh, your, your show and talking about, oh, that sounds like my mother. He's talking about my mother, you know? <laughs> but, um... My question today is I was with my, with a friend and I'm, I'm, as you, as you, if you recall, and I know you have like millions of people, um, I was raised Southern Baptist, corporal punishment, strict disciplinary, and that sort of thing. And you've helped me see the light of the air of my ways. I've apologized to my children, and my, I now have a grandda- grandson who is 18 months old, and my daughter is, 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 um, implementing peaceful parenting, is, is, uh, peacefully parenting her child, and I've been witness to, to that, and it's just, it just warms my heart. And it's so cute because because uh, as I helped her move from uh, San Antonio all the way to to Indiana this past weekend, and the baby was—I call it—still call him the baby. He was. Um uh, in a car seat for 19 whole hours. I mean, can you imagine a 19-month-old in a car seat for that long? You know, we, I took him out and walked him every time we gassed up and that sort of thing, but we, we did some very creative things to keep him as comfortable as possible, and I gave my daughter a break, you know, and, and I was, you know, entertaining the baby while while they did their moving things, and, and she, at the very end, just before I came home she, on the plane from uh, Indianapolis to Utah, she says, Mommy, didn't you ever have any instincts at all to to hit Ethan? And I said, "Honey, absolutely not." And she said, "You have totally changed because if that would have been me, I could just see you thinking the crap out of me." <laughs> so I, I I I thank you for that because that's that's what you have done for me, and I'm hoping that that uh, I will be able to spread this message to my family and to everybody around me. So. I'll pause if you want to comment on any of that before I get to my question.
0: No, other than to say, I mean, I'm incredibly moved by by what you're saying. Um, What you're doing is fantastic. I mean, what a magnificent gift to give your grandchild and your children. Uh, And so I remember the call before. I wanted to, you know, I am incredibly moved. I better stop talking or I'll get too moved to talk. So um, thank you for sharing that. Congratulations. (laughs) And uh, uh, if you would like to ask you a question, I will do my best.
5: Great. Right. Okay. Um, I was in Las Vegas in a in, in a courtroom in a in a courthouse, and I was I had. Picked the number, and I was waiting for a window lady with with my colleague, who um, is also, you know, awakening with me, and we're 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 activists together. And and um, he was a very uh, abused person. Uh, went to, from a child; uh, he was he went from foster home to foster phone. He's got a, he, and and he doesn't talk about this to everybody, but but he, but he's I mean an extraordinary man. And we were sitting there waiting for my number for the window lady to to call my number, and all of a sudden. I don't know if it, 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 but to add more substance, I don't know if if I should even say this, it was a black, a a tall black man who was very handsome looking and very well-groomed. He had two children with him who were also very well-groomed, very tidy and uh I he he went and he's looking at the at the machine to figure out which number which button to push so that he could get the number so that he can see a window lady and in that in that moment that that he was trying to decipher what to do one of the his his one of his children the boy he had a little boy and a little girl the little boy looked like he was about seven the little girl looked like she was about six Uh, five or six the little boy just kind of wandered off a little bit to look into a window that was closed one of the government windows that was closed and that man hollered he bellowed he hollered at him in that in that um lobby and he says, boy you better get over here or i'm gonna whoop your ass or something something to that effect that it just you know made my blood i mean i mean just i just uh, it it just it it scared the hell out of me i mean i wanted to stand at attention too you know (laughs) and the little kid came right over and he was very obedient and 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 I didn't know what to do. I was like paralyzed because I just I, I remember what you said about why you're a philosopher, and and how nobody said anything to to you to comfort you to to your family called 911 or anything. And I suspect as as I I don't want to. Assume that he's a bad parent because then I I stayed put and I'm listening, you know. And and my friend is listening with me because we all we both looked at each other like wow. And um, and I overheard him, you know, a a clerk came over and says, "Uh, Can I help you, sir, or something? And he says, Well, yeah, I need to. uh, I I need a. And she asked him, What are you here for? And he said, I need to get a restraining order um, from my wife. And so I'm thinking there are some serious domestic issues here. I don't know, you know, I, 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 don't want to assume that he's an abusive parent clearly he had some stressful issues going on and and uh, i didn't want to add insult to injury by telling him hey that's not an appropriate way to talk to your kid uh he might have you know he he wouldn't have hurt me and i'm not afraid of you know of, of having said something like that i don't know that that was the most prudent thing but what could i have possibly said to him to at least tell him look i feel for you you're probably you're you're I, I, it, it sounds like you're going through some really tough times. And, and how could I have said your children didn't ask to be born, and you still have to remember that and respect them as individuals? How could I have done that in in a in a way that that would have been meaningful? Because I I posted this question online to to freedom areas, people to people that I respect as libertarian people who follow you, and the 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 only responses, the, the the vast majority of responses I've gotten is hey, it's none of your business. The fact that you did nothing was the best thing to have done. So what is your take?
0: Yeah, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. The, I mean, uh, the way that black children are raised, and this is all generalized statements within the U.S., uh, the, the black culture is still very aggressive towards children as a whole in general. Of course, not every any specific individual. But, um, I mean, Barack Obama was joking about hitting children and everybody was like rip-roaring. I don't think it has anything obviously to do with blackness. It has to do with religiosity. I mean, fundamentalists are more, much more aggressive with their children, according to the statistics. It's one of the reasons why um, religion, and particularly fundamentalist religions, are, are a problem to people who want to save the world, is that they're very harsh on, on children, to say the least. So... Um, that's you know is a tough call, because if somebody is you know doing the restraining order thing and I mean bellowing at his kids in public, that is a dangerous and volatile situation. so I mean, obviously, you know you're probably not in any particular danger when you're there, you're with a friend, you're in a courthouse or whatever. so what you could do is um you know always focus on that which is best for for the child, and if the parent is incredibly vain and and insecure then if you humiliate the parent, of course there is the considerable possibility that the parent will then take it out on the child later like i can't believe you embarrassed me like that and somebody had came up and talked to me and you made me do you know so that that that's something to consider so in a situation where if the parent is you know probably kind of a decent person but just at their wits end then you know what I've done. Like so, when I it was in a parking lot, and I saw uh, a dad yelling at his kids um, in the car because you know, and they'd been a, you, know, you could hear that it'd been a long drive. They mentioned something about it having been a long drive, and two boys. And I, I went up and I said, look, this this is not the way. It's not the way to to work with your kids. This is not it's not what you want to be doing as a parent, right? I mean, it's not why you had kids. And he did sort of say, oh, oh God, I you know, I I just find myself screaming at and so on, right? So, not like a nasty, malicious, evil fellow or anything like that. I mean, obviously doing wrong by his kids and those actions are very destructive. But, but there are other people, of course, who are just real cruel, like sadists. You can see these people in brain scans. It's really weird, right? So they've done studies where they'll hook up electrodes to people's brains and they did a study in particular where a, um, a group of young men who'd already been in physical fights were shown videos and they were shown videos of accidental injuries to people, and then purposeful injuries to people, and they got some delight out of seeing the accidental death uh, injuries of people. But when people were purposefully injured by someone else, their entire pleasure centers just lit up like the 4th of July. So it was deeply pleasurable for them to watch purposeful injuries on other people. And that is, I mean, it's hard to process, right? It's the complete opposite. I mean, I would be horrified. So, so, And, and they, they probably would have horror at seeing affection and kindness, right? Their disgust centers would probably light up. But um, so if you're with some, if you're around someone like that, that's, you know, that's really tough, right? I mean, so you can, of course, if someone is there and is exasperated and someone you can say, look, this is obviously a stressful day for you. I'm a grandmom. I'm a nice person. I'm here for the duration. I'd be very happy to sit and play with your kids while you go talk to the clerk, you know, give you a bit of a break or something like that. And, you know, then if you're with the kids, that's, you can say, wow. There's a pretty, it's a pretty tough day for you, right? I mean, this is not where you want to be. Where would you, where would you most like to be at the moment? Oh, Disney World or at the play center or a playground or something like that. And say, wow, it's, so this is really not fun for you. It's probably not a whole lot of fun for your dad, which doesn't mean that it's okay for him to yell at you like that. But uh, I'm sorry that this is where your family's at. You know, just that kind of stuff. And then at least give the kids a sense, you know, without necessarily provoking the dad, at least give the kids a sense that, that somebody notices that this is not fun for them and it's not a good situation or environment for them to be in and and so on, right? So something like that can, can help out. Um, and, uh, but
5: really, I never thought of that, Stefan, because that's, that's that's exactly what I could have possibly done is gone to the dad and said, look, I see you're very stressed out. And would you like me to entertain your kids for you for, you know, you get to the window lady and I could have sat there with the kids and, 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 you know, done some love to them, you know, given them some, some words of love.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that I mean, that could help. Uh, that could definitely help. Um, it, it, it's a very tough situation. I mean, we do have this weird thing where we say, it's none of your business. Well, shit, I'm sorry, but it really is my business because I have to live in a world populated by these kids when they grow up. Thank right? You. As I've mentioned, uh, children are catch and release, right? <laughs> they grow and release specimens, right? So, you know, if, if you're on a desert island and you're never going to impinge on my society or environment, then I guess, other than sort of an abstract moral thing, I don't have a lot invested, but I have to live in a world populated by these kids when they grow up. And if this is their environment, then they're going to grow up most likely, you know, having problems, maybe being criminals, being mean, being abusive, and then I got to live with their kids. And so, no, sorry, we're all in the same pool and it matters to me if you're peeing. (laughs) Sorry. It it, it is my business. I don't ever remember that in the 1970s during the big wave of divorces that came out of some, I think, quite positive aspects of feminism. The big wave of divorces and the feminists who were saying, listen, don't put up with abuse in your marriage. He's a pig. Get out. I don't remember anyone saying, it's none of your business. At least that, that was not a very common thing. Don't teach me how to tr- teach, how to how to deal with my wife, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I guess there are a few people there, but nobody ever said, sorry, the marriage is sacrosanct and private and we shouldn't get involved. But people still have this weird thing like, like it's not my business how people raise their kids. but Surely it's more of our business how people raise their kids than how people are married to each other because if two people are married to each other and treat each other badly and don't have kids, well, their dysfunction and abuse dies with them. But if they have kids and they're abusing their kids, then those kids are going to go out into society with all that screwed upness and so on. So it's much more our business how children are raised than how marriages are run and we have no problem – Intervening as a society in marriages uh, and saying this is not good, this is something which which shouldn't continue. You should get help, or you could leave if it's abusive. So it's, I mean, it's just hypocrisy to say that that we shouldn't get involved or it's not our business. It's much more a business than marriages. We have no problem getting involved in in those, right?
5: Right, and I think it would be so much more uh, a, a much more peaceful approach to to as a as a. Just as an individual observing this, to, to get involved yourself and do some like uh, uh, dime store counseling, if if you will, um, rather than calling nine one one and CPS. And I know, I know that they that CPS has, has a purpose and everything, but I I've seen that they have that they are people with guns, and they they have ruined more lives, I believe, than have helped um, by, by their actions. So what is your, what do you agree or is there anything about what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, it's a government agency, it's a government institution. So, you know, I have all the skepticism to do with that. On the other hand, if the children are in physical danger, I mean, what else are you supposed to do? Right. I mean, if you see a child who's literally being beaten, um, then yeah, I mean, I would say call, call the authorities. I mean, because, that, you know, it may not be great, but I mean, what is what is the other option? I mean, the child's already in harm, right? We we'll always take a possible harm right. over a, right? So.
5: Right. Well, my, my friend who I was telling you that has gone from foster home to foster home. It is because somebody called 911. He has had probably every bone in his body broken, but he said that having stayed with his parents would have still been better than going from place to place where he witnessed young girls being raped by the people who were supposed to be caring for them. It was a government, you know, it's like, and he says, uh, and, and he was, uh, he ran away. And since he turned 16, he ran away and went to uh, Alaska and became a, uh, a fish, a Fisherman, and he says, talk about the most dangerous jobs, you know. And he says, he, and and he got beaten up there by the fishermen who were ordering him around. And he said he preferred that to being in some of the foster homes that he was in. So, so uh, when when and we've we've been we've been activists, and I you know I've in in listening to your teachings, I'm I'm steering away from the activism, and I'm closing, I'm putting an end to that. But we have been to like DUI checkpoints in Las Vegas and and what have you, and uh, there was. A case where a lady was was um, uh, the media made a big deal about how um, they they found one one drunk lady and she had a child with her. Uh, it was a 12 year old child and the child was taken into protective services and and the the lady was not that drunk. I mean she was she, and I don't know what her percentage point was, but the the the. the and And I don't know what her history was, but all these drones know is these are the numbers if you blow in its point you know oh eight or above, then you are legally in violation of the 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 drunk laws and the drinking and driving laws, which we don't condone drinking and driving but um uh so. So, and therefore, these, this is the checklist of the things we have to do. If there's any kids that are going to go to child protective services, they don't take into account the whole thing, which is why government is so horrific. It, 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 there's no humanity in government. So, so that's, that's kind of, I'm getting this other side, you know, of, of, on the one hand, you do call CPS, but on the other hand, I'm scared to call CPS because I don't know if that would be even a worse fate for the child. So, Stuff, what, you know, what,
0: what do you think? I'm certainly no statist, but uh, a, a mom who's driving while impaired with a kid in the car, that is seriously not good. I mean, that can get the child killed, maimed. I mean, that can she can hit other children. A drunk driving is just one of these things that is just so uh, wretched that, that, again, I don't know what the percentages were and all that, the details, but um, I, I think in a free society, if a mom was driving uh, drunk, with a with or you know impaired with a kid in the car, I think that would be um, pretty much a call to to some kind of intervention. Of course, in a free society, the intervention would be much more positive and beneficial, and so on, less violent if not non-violent. But that's incredibly dangerous for for the child who has no choice, right? I mean, you assume the child just gets strapped in, has to go with mom, can't stay alone, and mom's drunk, and uh, that's. I mean that's incredibly destructive. That can be much worse than beating because you can actually just die, right? If you get into a car crash and so on. So it's yeah, it's a t- it's a tough situation all, all around. But I mean, we, you know, uh, obviously we can't fix every family. We can't save every child. But we have a great template, as I've mentioned before. We have a great template for all this kind of stuff, which was uh, the feminist revolution uh, around voluntarism within the marriage, right? I mean, that is uh, the template. Uh, the, the feminists didn't sort of go in there and try and become counselors to every family. Uh, what they did was they said to women, uh, we are going to promote your right to leave an abusive family, an abusive husband. And we're going to define to you what abuse is, and we're going to, um, you know, I mean, that's, in, they went pretty far, right? I mean, uh, way too far, in my opinion, right? I mean, calling all marital sex rape, and the marriage is a slave institution. With, and I think Hillary Clinton said that. It's like, well, I guess your family, maybe. but but uh, So we already have that template. We simply promote voluntarism within the family, and that's where things will get better, but it will take time. But it's the only thing that will work, and it's the only thing that historically has worked. You don't try and reform a bureaucracy. You just privatize it, right? And you don't try and reform the family necessarily. All you do is promote voluntarism uh, within the family, and... That will help. I mean, as long as the family is socialized, so to speak, in other words, it's a bureaucracy where there's no voluntarism, then society will reflect that as well. But if we promote voluntarism within the family, we will end up with voluntarism in society. Uh, There's no other way to do it, I think. Great. Well,
5: I sure appreciate your your. Your input. Um, I, I will, I will have to disagree a little bit about the, about the drunk driving situation because, yeah, I definitely don't agree with driving impaired, but there's, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's alcohol. They have no way of, of testing other things. What if they're high on cocaine? What if, you know, and, and the other thing that the UI checkpoints, um, uh, it, it's really just, a, a theater to, to make people, uh, comply to to so they so that and they can c- catch four times more uh, drunk drivers the old-fashioned way by patrolling as opposed to doing these grandiose um, things which cost like twice a, a lot of money a lot a lot of money the, and, I don't know if you've ever been to a DUI checkpoint it's like millions of dollars and um, and and some people actually can pass. Um, I call it the clown test. You know when they tell you, okay, walk the straight line and do your alphabet backwards. Some people can actually pass those better when they're under some kind of, you know, using alcohol as medication, for example. You know, so I mean, there's all these other things to to factor in. And but my my point is with when you uh, have the government just use a checklist and say, okay, here's the number, blow into here. You're not looking into how, you know, how impaired was this person? How far did they have to go? Um, what, did she have any other options? Were there any other, extended, were there any extenuating circumstances in, in which she was unable to do anything other than what she she was doing? Did she not have, a, a, you know, bus fare? You know, did she not have somebody that, could, you know, pick her up? That sort of thing. So to, just to point blank say, that's it. Your your kid is being taken away because the kid could you know we can all die of just about anything. So so that's that's just my own personal opinion about that. So, but I I really thank you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take what we we've talked we've talked about and going to make a little YouTube of it, and I'm going to share it with uh, all of my friends um, because I think you have some really great points and I really 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 value uh, everything that you do and I think that you're going to go down in history just to kiss your butt a little bit. You're going to go down in history as like the better—I mean, more famous than Socrates. But unfortunately, you'll be dead <laughs> by then. <No laughs> so thank you so much for taking my call, Steph.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And look, I—I I agree with you that uh, you know if if the woman is is tipsy and driving, I don't think that's cause to you know just well, that's it. You can't be a mom. Take away your kids. I mean, there's a there's a whole lot that needs. And of course, if the if the family can be reformed, that is to by far the best interest of, of the child, right? I mean, breaking up the family is incredibly traumatic for the child, and it would only be in the most dire circumstances. I think that would be undertaken in a, um, in a free society. But, um, but, yeah, nonetheless, I mean, the, the decision points to drive after drinking with a child in the car is, um, is not positive. So, uh, did, uh, James, did we, we can go a little over if you like, if there was um, somebody else who had a question or a comment.
2: Uh, yeah. <clears throat> we have another person online. And his name is Taryn. Hello, hello.
3: Oh great. Uh hi Stefano. It it's it's very great to uh, get to talk to you guys. Um it's a really honor because uh, I found you guys after uh my search for self-knowledge and whatnot. But um anyway at um uh, um yesterday I, I listened to um Stefan's conversation with um uh Pharrell about the, um, about the attack on boys, so to say, in society and um, how boys in school, you know, they're failing and uh, women and girls, they're getting so much better grades and stuff. And uh, I, I was comparing it to my own situation uh, because uh, I had two years of college and um, I dropped out. Because um, I thought, you know, it's it's extremely expensive, you know, and I'm going through all these prerequisites, and I still haven't, you know, um, started doing the classes on the things that I really wanted to do, which were uh, language learning, uh, specifically in Japanese, and uh, like fitness and gymnastics. Because right now I'm I just turned 21 in um, December, and uh, but I. And I, I, I've been trying to rationalize it, you know, You know, um, like the government's like taking away my life because I have to pay all the if, – if I don't get a degree, I'll have to um, do all this extra, extra work and I'll, I'll pretty much be a failure is what uh, I've been taught. But if I do get a degree, my, my life is taken away because I have to um, go through all these uh, debts. And uh when I when I listened to the conversation yesterday with uh Warren Farrell, I was wondering, um maybe maybe it's um uh, I haven't learned deferred gratification or something like that. That's what uh you guys uh talked about a little bit. Because, you know, I, I grew up a little bit without my father and uh my mom and dad, they divorced when I was very little. And then he ended up going to jail, and uh, and uh, I, I just wanted to know: do you, Do you think I'm? What do you think? Do you think I'm wrong for not wanting to go to college and live my life that way, or uh, is, is should, should I go back? Or
0: it's a big question. And I, look, first of all, I it's very wise of you to ask these questions, right? So. So good for you, right? I mean, but secondly, um, damn, I'm sorry to hear about your family. What a mess. What did he go to jail for?
3: Uh, it was uh, for murder. Um, it was, uh, it, he had a, um, I had a step family. He, he remarried. And um, the last year I was uh, there and he, he's in Virginia and I'm in Indiana uh, with my uh, mom now.
0: <laughs> uh, so, look, I'm I'm really sorry to hear about this. this is a, it's terrifying and terrible, see? Um, obviously, on your dad's side for this criminality and on your mom's side for deciding to have kids with a guy capable of this kind of criminality, right? So this is just really wretched all around, and I'm incredibly sorry that this is the legacy point that you're starting from. So, uh, you know, I mean, people who've gone through pretty normal childhoods, it's. I think it's really tough for them to really get just what a burden it is to 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 have this stuff hanging hanging over you, dragging around behind you. Like I can sort of vaguely get that it's tough to learn English, but because I grew up and I'm a native speaker, I, I don't think I can really get how tough it is to learn English. I mean, I can sort of say that I do, but until I've actually, you know, people have actually gone through it, I think it's. So, I mean, I'm I'm really really sorry for these kinds of challenges and having so many negative examples in your life is pretty wretched. Right. I mean, there's a yeah. whole bunch of, right. There's a whole bunch of whatever you do, do not do this, but that's not really the same as knowing what to do. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm incredibly sorry for that. What a, what a wretched and terrible way to start things off. And, uh, it's, you know, it's you know until you get child abuse, it's. I think it's a lot easier to be religious and, and to believe in the state, right? I mean, if it won't child abuse news get how incredibly unfair it is, right? I mean, why you? I mean, why yeah, don't you get born in, You know, uh, Leave it to Beaver is, is not just playing on TV but visible in the living room, right? I mean, why you? Why me? Why? Why other people who've called into the show? I mean, who who did I who did I piss off in a previous life that I got born into into the born into I mean it's it's so I mean you can't even use the one word unfair because to use the word unfair would be to have a standard of fairness that didn't include that which 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 does um, but it is just so ridiculously unfair and you know people who say well you know God just chose you to test you it's like well fuck that I mean what a load of bullshit.
3: Well, One yeah, I was, people. I was having those thoughts too. Um, most of my family, they're Christian and I would think like, <laughs> what are you guys talking about? This is, this is what you guys believe in is kind of crazy. Like, I remember I was in church once and he said, uh, there's a priest that said something about, you know, uh, just listen to the voice of God or something like that. And I was like, and I, I listened. Literally tried it, and I was like, "I hear my own thoughts and conscience, Like, I, I don't understand anything you guys are talking about. Like, what?" And then it's, it's kind of contradicting. Like the principles, they don't practice them at home, like uh, beatings and and stuff like that. Like, and then I, I guess I'm not religious anymore. So,
0: yeah, it's. I mean, it's right. So if I if I were to knowingly hand a child over. Permanently to an abuser, uh, it would be incredibly immoral of me to do so. And of course, God, <laughs> you know, He controls everything and He chooses everything. So, I think this is why child abuse is is tough to talk about in religious communities, because child abuse and the the randomness of where you just happen to be born is something that's really tough to reconcile with God runs everything and God has a plan and all this. Like, what the fuck kind of plan is it where you get born into this kind of household? I mean, you tell me how that plan is just a great plan. It's a wonderful plan. That is the best. It's better, way better for you to have been born in that household than any other household, no matter how calm, peaceful, rational, positive, loving, and intimate they are. I mean, there is no plan in the world that can morally rest— on condoning child abuse or praising child abuse, which, if God controls everything and children are born into these monstrous homes, I mean, how the hell can you judge everyone equally when some people get to start at the finish line and other people get to start in a cave 3,000 miles underground? Hey, it's the same race. It's all equal, right? And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly sorry. Um, it is something that, once, once you get just how prevalent and how destructive child abuse is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, anybody who can sustain their faith in, in an all-loving creator when they have, have sort of seen this kind of stuff, and because I came from such an abusive household, though I think not as abusive as yours, um, and, and everyone I knew around me came from these dysfunctional households, you know, it was really tough to see the loving hand of God uh, in, in, in the world, and uh, you know, say, well, but God gives people free will, and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, the free will argument doesn't, doesn't work. God designed... Us as machines and God designed us to replicate child abuse generally if we were exposed to it and uh, God gave us our entire nervous system our entire psychology and God gave children no independent capacities to be free of parents who are abusive when they're kids and so uh, and of course God can I mean, when people pray, they're assuming that God can intervene, right? A God who doesn't intervene can't be the foundation of any profitable religion because, you know, it can't do anything for you. So the moment that God reaches through and starts to do things in the world, then he's saying that free will doesn't count because if you pray enough, he'll, viol- he'll violate his own rules of physics and choice to benefit you. So the moment God reaches in to do something different in the world, he's responsible for all the child abuse in the world because he doesn't, uh, he doesn't change it. So right. uh, anyway, I'm sorry. I don't mean to get on a sort of religious kick, but uh, it is. And um, once you get the the child abuse thing, you get that. I mean, it's it's so ridiculously unequal. The claiming there's an all loving God in charge of things is um, is completely mad. I mean, it's it's worse than mad. It's it's um, it's uh, an enabling of of this, right? Because it lowers people's uh, suspicion. Right. Anyway, but sorry, sorry. So as far as college goes are um, you saying you were taking gymnastics in Japanese?
3: Uh yeah, I was um my major was like in health fitness and uh and I, I like to do other things like gymnastics and martial arts. I know you've uh, made videos about martial arts and you, you, how much you don't like that, but you know, I, I thought it was pretty entertaining and yeah, language. And uh when when I express that, you know, to, to my family members that, you know, I think I sh- I'd, I'd want to go for an alternative way of education because, um, through high school, I, I, I would study Japanese by myself and I got pretty good at it. But when I, when I, when I say I want to do something different, like I get antagonized by my family, like, oh, you need a, you need to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're, you're just going to be a failure or whatever. But if, if like, right, I, I get like financial aid and loans and stuff, and, it, and it's like right now I have like twelve thousand, and then only after two years. But if I if I keep going to college for like the next three years, you know, because nobody finishes at four; they finish average like five. Like, and I can barely like pay bills now and get a and have a a decent job. Like, how would oh, I support you- my life? What was that?
0: Sorry, did you mean that you have $12,000 in debt after two years? Yes. Right. So, you know, if you keep going at the current rate, right, it's going to be twenty, thirty thousand, <laughs> 30000 which is the average. Right? I think it's the average is $26,000 in debt. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, certainly I would do the math. Uh, you know, they say, well, it adds a million dollars to your income over the course of your lifetime. But that includes people who go to college to become right right it's history that you're going to get a million dollars extra and it also only includes people who um who finish and i don't i don't think that those numbers include the amount of money and time that you spend paying off your debts so well, it's a tough call it's a tough call i know that there are some fdr listeners who are uh, studying japanese uh, on on the side on the web um you can obviously join groups like that i mean if you want to get a job speaking Japanese or whether that's – I mean, they only care whether you speak Japanese. They don't, they don't care about your um, your piece of paper, so to speak. Uh, as far as you know, health and all that, I'm sure there are licenses and so on that you need to have to finish uh, to, to get the license to do nutrition and, and uh, health um, uh, advice and so on. So that may be worthwhile. But the important thing, of course, is to look at what are the average sal- – I mean, you can just sit down. It's worth doing a, a spreadsheet on this. I think, right, which is to say, okay, well, let's assume I graduate with X amount of dollars in debt. I have to pay it back at X amount of interest. What's my monthly payment going uh, to be? Let's just say that I get my, in, in you know, nutrition or, or health sciences or whatever. What is the average income in my neck of the woods for somebody who has that credential and, you know, what's, what's it going to be worth and other alternatives to getting these credentials to be able to uh, do stuff, right? Uh, so... Uh, So, uh, you know, I can talk about first principles on the internet. I don't need a license, right? I mean, there's lots of things I can't do, which I wouldn't really want to do, like diagnose mental health issues or give people specific nutrition advice or whatever. I mean, I don't do any of that stuff. I barely give any advice at all. But uh, um, so there's stuff that you can do that doesn't require a license, right? You can go write software without being licensed. uh, And there's other things that you can be able to do. If there's ways that you can do what you want to do without being licensed – I mean, I think that's worth looking into, uh, and you can do a cost-benefit. Maybe the people who aren't licensed make only half what the people who are licensed is, and then it just becomes a cost-benefit analysis. Um, so or that, that's what I would do, is just sit down and, and figure that stuff out. I mean, I thought of this stuff when I was – after my master's, you know, before I figured out what I wanted to do, um, I got into the software entrepreneur world. I mean, I did math at and said, oh, God, I mean, uh, I can't remember. I think I finished my master's when I was 27 or so, maybe 28, and uh, I sort of said, okay, well, it takes seven years to do a PhD. That's takes me to 35 or 36, and man, you know, then it takes you five years to get a 10-year track position. Uh, that takes me into my sort of early 40s and so on. Like, I could be in my early 40s before I have any kind of steady paycheck that I could sort of rely on and sort of start a family with and all that kind of stuff. And so for me... And, and of course, I was you know pretty beaten up from dealing with socialist, mystical, irrationalist, uh, subjectivist uh, academics for the whole whole of my career, and I just looked at the desert wasteland of trying to get a job uh, in that field, in, in probably in Canada, uh, in a field like like I was in history, right? Kind of a subjective field. It's um, pretty, and you know, I have outright Marxists who are happily teaching away at the college. I mean. You can't find a lot of Nazis, but you can find Marxists, even though Marxism has a higher death count than Nazism. So I just, uh, for me, it was just, there was just this, and I did the math, you know, all this kind of stuff, and when opportunities in software opened up, I was like, okay, so I can do this, and, you know, I don't need a license, uh, I don't need to defer to idiots, uh, I, either, I either provide value or I don't, it's not ideological, nobody's going to care, they're only going to care whether my product is, is valuable to them. So for me, it was relatively easy to make make that decision to steer clear academia and instead to focus on building a business career, which I have had no regrets since about doing that. Uh, in fact, uh, if I were an academic, I wouldn't in a million years be able to do what I'm doing here. So uh, that's an either-or kind of situation. So uh, I would just really try and at least start with the math, right? I mean, the math isn't going to make the decision for you because we're not computers, but I think getting a clear idea of the mathematics is important, right? So when I said, okay, it's going to take me seven years to get a a PhD and I can probably make about 40,000 bucks a year as a programmer, as an entry level programmer, right? So, right, seven times four, two hundred $280,000 at a minimum in, in lost income plus the additional cost of going to school, I get some TA shifts, may offset that, or whatever, right? But I was looking at some, some significant lost income, and that's assuming that I stayed at 40K, which of course I wouldn't. Yeah. So, right, so if you look at that, I was looking at you know, half a million, three quarters of a million dollars in lost economic opportunity by being in school, plus maybe additional costs, plus the stress of being in an ideological environment where reason doesn't win. Uh, whereas in the business world, you know, price and features do a long, a, a, a long way towards winning. It's not all that, but it's most, mostly that. So for me, there was you know, a whole bunch of calculations that went into it. And for me, then I decided to, to get out. I'm very glad I did my master's. I mean, that was the first time I'd really had the chance to apply myself to a topic that I absolutely loved. Uh, and it only took, uh, what, 16 or 17 years or 18 years of schooling to get, <laughs> to get to that. But I would do the cost-benefit analysis. Don't forget to take into account your opportunity costs, like the lost income and all that kind of stuff. You know, like I have a friend who's a, professor and he tells his kids um you know if they don't show up to class or whatever it's like you know you you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars just to come to college you know like use it get get your money's worth you know come to my you know nobody ever comes to his office or whatever right and questions come to my office i'm here you know free tutoring i mean whatever right um so i think people just don't realize the opportunity costs because we're not really taught to think economically but i would add all that stuff up it, it probably will give you a pretty clear sense of the pluses and minuses. And I find for myself, when I really delineate the pluses and minuses, my emotions suit, if that makes sense. Like I don't don't say to myself, well, this is going to be completely wonderful for me in every way, shape, or form, and then I'm depressed to do it. Or you know, I say, well, this is going to be completely disastrous for me in every way, shape, or form, but I really want to do it. I mean, I find if I delineate... The pluses and minuses, which my emotions are usually good at processing instinctually, anyway. But when I sort of really delineate it, it tends to clarify and give me a lot more certainty about about my choices. Does that does that help at all?
3: Yeah, it does. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I, when I when I did the, uh, I I didn't really do like a spreadsheet or anything, but uh, like for uh, she, health, health and huh? Yeah,
0: I, I do do spreadsheet. Seriously, I mean, and if you need any help, you know, just post it or whatever. But do a spreadsheet. Figure out what's going to cost you. What's, you know, what's your income going to be if you don't? Can you continue to do what you love if you don't? And if you can't, and what's it going to be like if you do? How much debt? How much are you going to pay? Don't be surprised, you know. You come out of school and they're like, I have to pay what every month? I mean, this is stuff you need to know now, not, not down the road.
3: Yeah, like um, right now I make like $500 a month. And I was like <laughs> – okay let's see if i if i I could pay off the debts I have now and and do something and do something else totally and if if I can do that uh pay off my my whatever debts i have i'd be like like free <laughs> pretty much and uh i I have found some alternative like uh, certificates for uh personal training and uh and and language certifications and whatnot but <laughs> uh becoming an entrepreneur was uh was on was on my mind because uh i'm not too thrilled about the idea <laughs> of being under someone else's command all the time you know you have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and work until eight o'clock at night or whatever like that <laughs> and uh uh <laughs> it's just my my idea of happiness you know isn't like uh using a third of my life just working in all that stuff or at at least like I should be able to do something I'm passionate about right
0: oh yeah it's not you know the best way to avoid doing work is find something you love right because then you feel like you're never working a day in your life
3: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) yeah so I think if you try and work all this stuff out I'm sure there are tons of things I haven't thought about, but I'm sure there are sort of a checklist to figure out if you should go to college or not. Because even if you make more with the degree, you still have to factor in the um I mean the cost of paying off the debt may make those things more equal. As more people go to college, of course, the college degree becomes less worthwhile and way too many people are going to college. I mean, I don't even know why we have such a thing as college anymore. I mean it's just nonsense. There's so many learning opportunities available to people. What we should have is exams to see whether you know something or not. Who okay. cares how you learned it. But the idea is you've got to go through this const- course. of. I mean, it's all... I mean, it, like everything else the government touches, it just gets frozen in time, right? So the government sort of really got heavily involved in universities a hundred or so years ago. And hey, guess what? They've still managed to stay pretty much the same for the last hundred years, much like public schools and so on. So, yeah, it's... it's you, you also might want to watch um, a film called The Great College Conspiracy. Uh, which I think oh, lays yeah, out I
4: have, I haven't
0: watched that. just for those who haven't heard it, it lays the case out against college. I don't know how accurate it is. I just had a sort of look at it, but it's something to look at. But I think it comes down to you know do the numbers. So whatever you're going to do, at least based on the best available information, right? So look up the average wages for what it is you want to do, with or without a degree, in your neighborhood or wherever you want to live, and do the numbers of what you're going to owe. Look at your tax base your after tax income is kind of stuff and just figure out what you want to do and then figure out what's the cost of being that much in debt when you graduate. I mean that that's in your head, right? It, it it makes your opportunities fewer. You might have to take jobs that you wouldn't otherwise take because you've got to pay this debt off, right? Um you might have to postpone entrepreneurship because you have to pay this debt off. I mean there's lots of things that are going to happen that are going to diminish your freedom as a result of taking on debt. What's that worth to you? Who knows? Right? So and get the numbers as clearly as possible. The other thing to do as well is if there's somebody in the field that you admire or you respect, call them up. So people are happy to chat. You know, this is a, a big surprise for me when I go into the business. World. Hey, you know, uh, I, I really think it's very cool. Like if some guy around you has a gym, owns a gym, just say, listen, can I, can I bend your ear for five minutes? You know, those, those five minutes can change your life. And, you know, I mean, I've done shows with people but I say, here's the best way, I think, to set up a podcast, you know? I mean, go for it. And so, happy to share their knowledge, um, I think, I mean, for the most part. So, ask the guy, how did you end up with your own gym? Did you, you know, what happened? And, and, you know, what would you change if you could do it differently? Uh, Most people are pretty happy to, to help out that way. And so, there's lots of things you can do and lots of information you can get before you make a decision. I find that once I get enough information, the decision becomes pretty easy, but without enough information, it's, it's pretty hard.
3: Right, right. Uh, I, think, I think maybe I called today because maybe I was uncertain because I, I had made a decision. But, you know, uh, I, I kind of uh, get bashed on, so to say, a lot because, you know, I'm not taking a traditional route. And it's very discouraging.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, there is this idea that college is success. The whole point, get get the kids into college. Well, I mean, I, I don't think anyone has successfully shown the relationship between college and virtue, which is kind of the most important thing, right? I mean, all the people who blew up the economy and are currently – I mean, they all have masters and PhDs in math and finance and physics and shit like that, right? I mean, there's some pretty evil bastards out there who are incredibly well-educated, who are completely screwing society as a whole, in particular stomping all over the backs of the poor. So they all went to college, and how successful as they? Well, as predatory sociopaths, they're doing great. As decent, virtuous human beings, they're doing the opposite of great. So, so I, would, yeah, I would certainly suggest to, to, to not think that there's some railroad track to success. I think that used to be the case more. Uh, but, of course, colleges do a great job of selling themselves. Um, you can, of course, also sit down with your college administrator and say, you know, make the case for me to stay in college. Show me the numbers. Show me the empirical studies. What's the, what's the placement rate after graduation? Um, what is the uh, uh, average income uh, for somebody who takes this degree and finishes this degree? Um, and so on, right? And if they don't have those numbers, that tells you quite a lot. If they do have those numbers, they should share them with you and save you some research time. So be a demanding customer. That would be my, my suggestion. I mean, people are asking you to invest oh. hundreds of thousands of dollars fundamentally in lots income and so on. And, you know, be a demanding customer. Um, I'm sure you don't buy a piece of electronics without doing lots of research. And you know when you're talking about years of your life and hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, it's um you have the right to be a demanding customer and to say to the college listen i mean i'm i've got doubts Sell me if they can't sell you then that means they haven't done the research which means that they don't give a shit about their customers frankly and so i would um I would definitely uh ask some questions about that
3: right <laughs> well uh, thank you very much for answering my question um i no. i didn't write it out today <laughs> so
2: Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I, I planned to write it out, but uh, I came in uh, to the conversation quite late. So sorry if I'm, uh, I was really uh, jumbled and in, indirect in, in my presentation of my question.
0: Yeah. Almost people in Congress are lawyers, have a huge amount of education. They have to be, you know, I guess, recertified and all that. And uh, they're subject to the most uh, oversight of their professional regulatory body and so on. And it's, you know, these scumbags are toasting half the planet, so um yeah college uh, it comes down to i think brute economic numbers, so I hope that helps, and I'm afraid with that, I must depart into the great ether of not being on <laughs> on the internet. Thank you everybody so much thanks again uh to um uh, to James uh, happy birthday again to james for for all his help over the years uh doing this sunday show it is it, it is really great uh, to to have him do this kind of work is takes a huge amount of burden off my mind. It means a lot less editing of the show afterwards. And he's actually saved some shows where my recording has failed. So I really, really appreciate that. Have yourself a completely wonderful week, everyone. And I guess we're gonna I'm going to try and get a little preview of the documentary out this week. So donators can see what they have paid for. And non-donators can find themselves in a hypnotic trance drawn towards their PayPal uh, account to hurl huge wads of fiat currency. This way. So, have a great week, everyone. I will talk to you soon. One last thing. So sorry, um, Anthony wanted
2: us to uh, plug his. It's not right. Anthony, right? Or
0: parent, uh, Sorry, Progressive Parent is that? Yes, yeah, right?
2: the Progressive Parent. It's youtubecom slash user slash the
0: Progressive Parent. Uh, yes, uh, please. Uh, I've only listened to one show, but uh, it was really delightful, and uh, the man has some some great stuff to say. So, uh, please go and check his channel out. And, um, thanks for that. I'm completely sorry that I forgot, but, uh, um, thanks again and have a great week, everyone.